Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of December 22nd, 2022, including the top five biggest Xbox stories of 2022 ranked, rumors are suggesting an Xbox game showcase is coming in early 2023, Xbox could possibly be working on an ad-based Game Pass subscription tier, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2009, Guitar Hero Van Halen released for the Xbox 360 in the US, Canada, and Mexico. Uh, I'm not sure if that game, did that game just not make it internationally? Is like, is Van Halen just like not popular in Europe and, and stuff like that? I, I don't know. I'm sure maybe it just came out a different day. I'm sure it's probably a week later or something like that. Anyway, damn dude, Guitar Hero Van Halen, that's probably the first Guitar Hero game I didn't buy. Yeah. That was like kind of towards, it's weird because like they'd build a Guitar Hero game and then there'd be like a spinoff game or two built on that game's like version of the engine and then they'd make the next game. So it'd be like Guitar Hero 2, then they did like the spinoff 80s and then Guitar Hero 3 and then they did the uh, spinoff, what Guitar Hero 3 spinoff was, that was the Aerosmith one and then they did Guitar Hero 4 and that had two spinoffs that had Metallica which was fucking awesome. The, the Metallica Guitar Hero is insanely good and then they did a Van Halen one which is a spinoff of 4 as well and that's kind of weird because it's like, I don't know. I feel like Van Halen is like obviously an iconic quintessential band, but I don't know. I don't feel like they needed their own Guitar Hero game. It's just kind of like, oh shit, Rock Band got Beatles. Well, who can we get? I don't know. But either way, still an important game because although I never bought that game, I did have to go out of my way to play it at a friend's house once because it was the first Guitar Hero game and I think the only Guitar Hero game unless maybe maybe like the later games like number 6 or something maybe had DLC but it was the only Guitar Hero game to have a yellow card song on it and a damn good one at that it, you know if, if the entire Guitar Hero franchise is only going to have one yellow card song at least it's not something like painfully cliche like like uh, like Ocean Avenue like they picked a genuinely fantastic song they picked The Takedown which is the opening track of their 2007 record, Paper Walls, a phenomenal record, probably one of my absolute favorite records from from my youth. It's still that that record sticks with me to this day. Absolutely fantastic pop punk, punk rock, whatever you want to call it, record from the uh, from the year 2007. Highly recommend. I guess I don't know how we got so deviated from it, but uh, Guitar Hero Van Halen. I guess uh, what I mean to say is I recommend you go out and listen to the entire album, Paper All Paper Walls, start to finish. By the band uh, Yellow Card. Dude, that record fucking rocks. Takedown, such an amazing opening for a record. So much energy, so powerful. It's one of those Yellow Card songs. It's like so quintessential, that fast pop punk energy that they just do so well. LP, greatest drummer of all time. Right, May he rest in peace. He's not dead, but he uh, he is no longer drumming for Yellow Card. So anyway, guys, welcome to Xbox On. It is a podcast about Xbox, but sometimes we talk about things I love just as much, if not more, than Xbox. In this case, Yellow Card. My favorite band of all time. Guys, I'm very excited at the top of the show to say this because it's the first time in, I think, 
10 or 11 months I've been able to finally fucking say this. I can't believe it took me this long, but I finally have a new video out. I know some of you are like, what do you mean a new video out? The podcast comes out every week. Uh-uh, I'm not talking about the podcast, you stupid piece of shit. I'm talking about my other YouTube channel, my YouTube channel where I make actual videos. It is uh same as my Twitch name. It's Lightning Extreme. So YouTube.com slash Lightning Extreme. Don't ask why that's the name. I need to pick a better one. But I finally have a new video up. It's uh, I'll link to it in today's episode. So please, if you're interested, click on the link in your in the podcast description or on YouTube or whatever. Um, give the video a watch. Give the video a like. Uh, to be fair, you know, it, it, it is a YouTube poop. I know that's kind of an acquired taste for YouTube videos. Just a bunch of mashup, cut up footage, making it stupid as hell. And it's not my best work, but I, I, I am pretty proud of it. I, I liked it a lot. There are a couple of laughs in this video that when I was making it, I was like kind of on the floor laughing a little bit. And my girlfriend's like, you're so stupid. This video is not funny. Stop. Stop. What are, why are you doing this? But uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's Sonic Frontiers winning all the awards at the at the Game Awards. Uh, and it's uh, it was a lot of fun to make, and hopefully you guys will check it out and and maybe subscribe to my other channel as well. You know, I, I won't I'll, I won't continue to plug, but I do I do want to just say this one thing: this this channel was not the second channel. This other channel with actual YouTube videos, not just podcast, was uh was never meant to be just a trash dumpster of YouTube poop videos. I was supposed to make real videos, and I am working on one currently, by the way. It's just for whatever reason, I just every time I sit down and I want to start making a video. I think about like another video, a serious topic, like a video essay or something I've always wanted to work on, and I'll start writing the script, and I'll be like, oh, but what if I made like Sonic the Hedgehog uh, say gay Luigi? I'm like, okay, okay, we're making that video now instead, so whatever, Here, here's what you get because I'm too ADHD to make a, an actual serious video, but it, like I said, it was a lot of fun to make, and it took a lot of time, and I, I, hope, I hope you'll consider giving it a watch. Thank you to those who have already checked it out. Uh, for a channel that only has 64 subscribers, uh, the video almost has 100 views already, which I know is, in the grand scheme of things, nothing by YouTube standards. But as someone who has on and off again tried various creative projects many times in my life, I, uh, I'm i very humbled and grateful to have a video hit about 100 views in five days because I know what it's like to have a video hit three views in two months. So I, I genuinely appreciate uh, the feedback and the support, you guys. So check that out if you're interested. Otherwise, let's get back to our actual podcast here. So important note for next week's podcast. This week, we have a little bit of news, actually a little bit more news than I suspected we'd have. Um, but for the most part, you know, we're at the end of the year, la the second to last week, the penultimate week of 2022 uh, for the Xbox On podcast. And so... We do have some fun, you know, this week's episode is going to be a little different. It's not going to be just news and then comments and then see you later, alligator. It's going to be uh, a little bit of news, a little bit of comments, but we're also going to do a fun topic where I, I want to take I want to take a retrospective look at this year in Xbox News and talk about what I believe are the five most important stories that, that happened this year. I feel like that'd be fun to have that retrospective. And then also just to look at 2022 as a whole, uh, because this is a year I think we all spent I know I'm definitely guilty of constantly being like, eh, 2022 is kind of a weak year, not a great year for gaming. But now that we're looking back, and especially with such a, a, a packed last part of the year, 2022 was a pretty damn fine year. And I kind of want to make that case and have a little retrospective there as well. Uh, a little salute to 2022 in gaming. But uh, before we jump into all of that, which I'm very excited to get into with you, I do want to say next week's show, the last episode of Xbox On for the year 2022, I'm doing something special. It's the, actually the same thing I did last year, but it was a lot of fun last year. And I'm excited to do it again this year. And so I need the help of you, the audience, in order to make this happen. So next week's podcast topic is going to be our favorite games we played in 2022. Now, 
This is a little different from a typical Game of the Year episode. I'm not going to talk about just games released in 2022 and just talk about my opinions and my favorite games. It, I want this to be complete audience participation. I think that's what makes the show special is that everyone gets a voice and everyone can write in and say absolutely whatever the fuck they want. And we just kind of run with it and make it you know part of the fun and part of the news. And so I would like to, in that spirit, in that tradition, do that again this year and extend to you guys. Um, please, 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 please write in. And let me know, what were your top five favorite games you played this year? I don't care if it's an Xbox Series X game. I don't care if it's a Nintendo DS game. I don't care if it came out in 2022 or if it came out in 1987. I don't give a shit. Your five favorite games that you experienced in 2022. So uh, a little spoiler alert. Mine will predominantly be relatively new Xbox games because that's really much of what I played this year. But, you know, for last year, for example, I think I had Skyrim as like my number three or number two game because last year was the first time I ever really truly sat down and played Skyrim front to back. And um, I ended up falling in love with it despite years and years of picking on people for loving that game. So a humbling moment as a, as a shitty little hypocrite hypocrite like I am. But yeah, and so just write in, go over to youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast, drop a comment in the latest episode of the podcast. If you're already listening to the show on, on uh, YouTube, you're in the right place. So just leave a comment on the latest episode of the podcast. Or if you're not on YouTube for whatever reason, well, first of all, I, I don't know how the hell you're not on YouTube. But if you know, whatever, if you have another way of reaching out to me if you follow me on twitter if you follow me on instagram whatever dm me i don't give a shit just write into me let me know what what were your top five favorite games you played in 2022 a couple of you already i guess you remember what we did last year i've already preemptively written in and i appreciate that uh, my, my bad usually i give you two or three weeks to get your write-ins so we can gather a bunch of them up but uh this year i kind of forgot to do it till last minute if i'm just being honest so enough of that we will get into the actual podcast now i just i just uh, i'm excited about this so please if you're interested Right in. Let me know what were your favorite games of the year, and then we will talk about them ad nauseum on next week's episode. And uh, with that said, guys, let's start off this week, as we do every week, with our stories of mild amusement, our updates, our corrections. First thing I want to mention, I thought this was going to be a big news story, but nothing ever really came of it. It ended up just being a tweet, and that was it. But Jez Corden, pretty much Xbox pundit, Xbox like go-to Xbox guru uh, over at Windows Central, uh, was tweeting and said uh, the following, quote, my vague rumor is that there's going to be an Xbox event in early 2023 is starting to look quite likely true. What would you want to see from this kind of event? Assuming it is true, by the way, may still well not be, but there is a lot of smoke. So uh, it's a tweet. So, you know, it reads like a tweet. But anyway, Jez Corden saying that, uh, you know, he hearing some kind of murmurings or seeing some kind of smoke that could be uh, an Xbox game showcase type event in early 2023. I saw a lot of people kind of, well, you know, Jez Corden's a reliable guy. If he, he he wouldn't put his reputation on the line, just say some bullshit. Like I heard, I heard Phil Spencer's getting Botox. And then if that's not true, you know, that's, that could be detrimental to his um, credibility. So if Jez Corden says something, eh, he's one of those, he's one of those people where it's like, I'm pretty inclined to either believe it or think there's a, a strong likelihood that at the very least, the discussion has been had somewhere in the world and there's a possibility. So um, this is this is good news because a lot of us obviously are have been disappointed because the Game Awards was a total no-show for Microsoft and for Xbox and a, a, a showcase in early 2023 could be, you know, all the explanation as to why they weren't present at the Game Awards, but also, uh, you know, all, all we would need to kind of make up for it since uh, it is a little bit unprecedented for a major player like an Xbox or a PlayStation to do a big showcase early in the year. And generally, those things really don't start to happen until like May, June, around E3 time. The only time that's ever been an exception really has been like 
when the PS4 launched or when the Nintendo Switch launched and like Sony or PlayStation um, or Sony or Nintendo held like uh, an event in like February or early March or something surrounding their new console. That's really the only time we've ever seen that kind of be the case. Otherwise, really big gaming events are, are a summer thing or uh, or a winter thing, early winter, late fall kind of thing. So I don't know. Obviously, there's not much else to make of this right now, but hoping this is true because goddamn, I would love to finally see some gameplay for all these many, many games that have CGI trailers and titles and developers, but no actual gameplay to show for it. Also, you know, I, I too am looking forward to Starfield and Redfall, but goddamn Xbox, I'd like to see if any of your teams are making games. Uh, so exciting stuff to look forward to as we uh, round out 2022 and start to peer into 2023 something early in the year to look forward to hopefully um, that isn't just uh, more and more goddamn news about Activision Blizzard which by the way uh, the Activision Blizzard Xbox stuff of course we have updates on that this week but I decided to spare us all spare myself really and what I did is I just pushed all that down to the very bottom of the podcast as a story of mild amusement or no a story that's not really worth diving into too much. So we'll just touch on some updates and not really waste an hour and a half talking about that because I know we're all fucking tired of it. So that's what that's part of why I'm so excited about this week's podcast. It's because we just get to talk about Xbox and a more broad and, and passionate type fan base-esque sense where it's like, hey, these are the games I liked or this is how much fun I had playing these games this year. And, oh, look, Jez Corden says we might see some games in a couple months rather than like uh, this uh, guy who wears a suit and goes to the government and uh, says Xbox is dumb, and PlayStation said Call of Duty is theirs, and then another government sued them, and Brazil said, we don't give a shit, we got minions, and I don't know. So uh, gladly, we don't have to get into that, but uh, Jez Corden hitting us with a sweet and savory little uh, little murmuring that might turn into something pretty exciting in just a, a couple short, I don't know, early 2023. When I hear early 2023, I, I'm inclined to believe this is going to be a February, somewhere like... I don't know, somewhere in like the, let's just pick something really vague and stupid. Uh, the the uh, the event, if it's early 2023, would be somewhere from either Thursday, February 9th, and uh, as early as Thursday, February 9th, and as late as, as late as Thursday, March 9th. Both March and February 9th are, uh, are Thursdays. So let's put it in between that, that window of time. Let's say that's when we're going to see it. There's, there's no way it's January. They're not going to do January. It's it's close to CES, although they're not entirely related. They're both, you know, they both do grab the attention of similar audiences, kind of. And, uh, you know, it's just too early in the year. You want to drum up hype? I don't know. Who knows? We'll see. I don't know. Lots of games coming out in February and March, so maybe that's a interesting to see early 2023. I don't know really where you'd fit it in. But anyway, well, let's move on with our lives. You guys, uh, last year you might remember Xbox did... Well, actually, let's back it up. Spotify has gotten a lot of attention, a lot of fun surrounding uh, their, what what do they call it, their Spotify Wrapped that they do every year around December, November, December. Uh, you know, it gets a lot, a lot of attention. It's a very fun thing. Those of you who subscribe to Spotify or exist in social media know about this, where it's like uh, Spotify comes with a little thing tailor-made for you. It's like, hey, here are all the songs you listen to this year. Here's all the popular genres you listen to. Here's like a little, it's like kind of like an Instagram story worth of content, just explaining what you listen to, how much time you spent listening, your favorite genres. And it's a lot of fun. People like to get their little screenshots and post them online and share their favorite music. It, it is a really fun thing. I think it's really cool that Spotify does that. I personally look forward to getting that every year and sharing it and seeing other people's. And um, 
Last year, the gaming companies started to like really pick up on this this kind of trend, and PlayStation and Xbox both had their kind of version of this. Um, for whatever fucking reason, Microsoft just decided not to do it this year. I don't know why. Uh, so PlayStation did another one of these 2022 wrap-up type events, and Nintendo even jumped on board and did one, but for whatever goddamn reason... Xbox did not do one, which is pretty disappointing. But however, uh, you know, fret not, we Xbox do have something in that realm to look forward to, some kind of year-end wrap-up um, data kind of statistical splash screen of information to to make our nerd brains just, uh, you know, tantalize, tantalize our nerd brains with uh, data that we probably shouldn't be proud to share, like how many hours we poured into my friend Pedro or whatever the fuck it is you've been playing this year. But uh, True Achievements, the website that you, you use, you can sign into your Xbox account and track achievement progress and look up guides and walkthroughs for achievements and all these kinds of things. Really, really handy, uh, really great website that's been around for quite a while. Decided to do their own kind of version for Xbox on behalf of Xbox fans since it looks like Xbox themselves weren't going to do it. And so they call it uh, True Achievements, My Year on Xbox. So you can go over to TrueAchievements.com, sign in with your Xbox Live account, and it will auto-generate a a year in review kind of uh, infograph for you. And so I went ahead and I did mine, and I'd love to hear what yours are if you want to share some of your information. I need to post this on Twitter. I haven't done that yet. Um, But I was a little surprised by my data. So it, what it shows you, it shows you a little infographic. It shows your gamer tag at the top. And then on the left side, it shows you the number of achievements you earned in the year, the total number of gamer score you earned this year, uh, the number of games you played this year, the number of hours spent playing games this year, uh, the top, your top game uh, and then on the right side, it shows the number one game you spent the most time with and how many hours you spent playing it. And then it also shows you your completion percentage of that number one game you played the most. So for me, on the infographic on the left, it shows my gamer tag. It shows that I unlocked 457 achievements this year. I got 11,030 gamer score this year. I played 48 different games and I played Xbox for a total of 425 hours, uh, which is, I don't know, I feel like the hours. It sounds about right, but the number of achievements, it sounds a little bit low. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Like, I, on the one hand, it's like, I'm a busy person. I work over 50 hours a week at my day job. You know, I have, I try to have a life outside of just my hobby of gaming. You know, I like to go to the theme parks. I like to pet my cat. You know, I like to, I don't know, do other things, go grocery shopping, whatever's fun to do around here. Uh, but at the same time, like, ah, oh, dude, four, 425 hours, I get a little insecure about it. I'm like, I'm an Xbox podcaster. I got to I gotta be posting one of those, like, yeah, I played 1,200,000 hours of Xbox this year. Fucking get over it. But no, I don't. I, I feel like my numbers are respectable. They're not the best, but they're respectable, I'd say. Uh, on the right side of my screen, it shows that my number one most played game of 2022 was Halo Infinite, which I played 77 hours of, which... I, I don't know if that sounds like a lot or a little. I mean, normally if a new Halo game comes out, I'm probably going to put well over 100 hours into it, but I don't know. Halo Infinite, we, we all know how that kind of went. So I feel like 77 hours, considering how little there was to do in Halo Infinite for most of the year and how much I had to like take breaks here and there just because of fatigue and being pissed off about certain aspects of this game. I feel like 77 hours is kind of impressive all things considered. I don't know. Uh, it says I have a 68% completion rate on Halo Infinite. I don't know what that is in regards to like achievements or game progress. I don't know, whatever. But that's that's my year in review. I'd love to hear what yours are. Uh, I'm going to be posting this one on Twitter. I need to do that. And um, yeah, feel free to write in with yours. I'd like to like to know who's number one game of the year. Please, for the love of God, whose number one game, most played game of 2022 was Just Dance. It's got to be someone out there. I just know, I know there's someone out there that's just got to shake it. 
identify yourself, please. All right. Well, yeah, a couple other stories of mild amusement to get into. Um, so this next one happened kind of shortly after short, shortly after um, the podcast went live last week. Uh, and this is kind of a weird one, dude, but let's just read from VGC. Amazon Games uh, are publishing the next Tomb Raider game. It has been announced. Uh, the multi-platform title will be developed by Crystal Dynamics, long longtime series leader, uh, which was recently sold to Embracer Group by former parent Square Enix. So Square Enix sold... Em- sold Crystal Dynamics to Embracer, and then Embracer allowed for Amazon to publish the next Tomb Raider game. Um, So it's being built alongside with Amazon from development all the way through to publishing, according to a press release. The new entry will be a single-player narrative-driven adventure, continues Laura Croft's story from the previous titles, so it'll be the fourth entry in that series. Uh, Christopher Hartman, VP of Amazon Games, said in a statement that Tomb Raider is one of the most beloved IP in entertainment history, and that Amazon Games is committed to bringing players the uh, games of the highest quality from the best developers across a variety of platforms and games, whatever, honored to work on the franchise, blah, blah, blah. They said that our team is incredibly excited to collaborate with the talented visionaries at uh, Crystal Dynamics to bring the next chapter of Laura Croft's saga, blah, blah, blah. Scott Amos, head of Crystal Dynamics, added, Crystal Dynamics has an extraordinary opportunity to follow the, following the acquisition from Embracer to redefine what publishing relationships uh, are for Tomb Raider. Transformative is what they're looking for with Amazon Games, and they believe they found the team that shares the creative vision, ambitions, and values of Laura Croft's universe, and uh, they're uniquely positioned to write Sorry, they said they've they've been uniquely positioned to rewrite what publishing and development collaborations are, and they're eager to forge a new path together, starting with building the biggest and best Tomb Raider game yet. So this, I feel like this is bad news, right? I don't know. There's something about this. First of all, if you're Embracer and you acquire, you know, they sent over 300 million dollars to get Crystal Dynamics, Idos Montreal, and um, and Square Enix Montreal, which has since been renamed and shuttered following this acquisition. So they spent a lot of money to acquire these teams, and then, you know, no doubt of the three, Crystal Dynamics is by far the most important. I mean, they're the guys that make these super high-profile Tomb Raider games that, you know, have just been really phenomenal. The weird thing is, now that Embracer technically owns the Tomb Raider IP, I would argue that that's probably one of their very most important IP they own. I can't think of much else other than, like, maybe Borderlands or anything that they own that's, like, really of that level of notoriety and importance, especially when you talk about like the history of gaming, like being the IP holder to Laura Croft, the Tomb Raider is a pretty damn big deal. So I just, I just don't see how, how Embracer goes. Okay. So we bought these three teams and now they're going to work on this Tomb Raider game. They're already kind of split, you know, helping out Xbox's team, the initiative with their Perfect Dark reboot. And now this other team, this probably larger, more like a team is working on this uh, new Tomb Raider game. So we got half our team with Xbox and we're going to put the other half along with our most valuable IP over to Amazon so they can publish and create this new Tomb Raider game. This makes absolutely no sense to me because, I mean, this is like if you're Embracer and you're looking to profit off all these many, many, many studios you purchased. I feel like Tomb Raider is one of those IP where it's like, yes, now is a time where you put a lot of money down and put a lot of resources and effort and support into shepherding this game because it's no doubt going to be a huge, big AAA seller that's going to do a lot of good for your your publishing brand and, and, and for your, your wallets, to be honest. And so I don't know. The fact that they're farming this publishing deal out to Amazon... I don't like what, what is that? 
what is that? It does Embracer just not want to invest the money? Like how do how do they not have the money? They keep buying so many goddamn studios. You know, to build a new Tomb Raider game could only cost between like a hundred and two hundred million dollars, which is still way less than you bought these three teams for. So how do you just not like you got to have the money? So what is it? What 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 is your reasoning behind not wanting to publish a game by a team you own, probably your best team, in an IP that you now own that is probably your best IP? But no, you're just gonna give it to Amazon. A publisher who, mind you, is very new to the game, doesn't have a whole lot of a track record, and usually works with, like, offshoot, like, Asian developers to make free-to-play, action RPG, money-grabbing loot box skins games, like fucking Lost Ark and stuff, which, no offense, I hear that game's pretty good, and I've always wanted to try it myself, but, like, come on, <laughs> like, this is Tomb Raider you got here, like, I don't know, this is just another one of those examples where I'm like, man, oh man, like, this uh this this Square Enix sell off of Crystal Dynamics that's that's a team that really Microsoft really should have should have pursued because I feel like this would have been such a great fit for Xbox and they're already working with Xbox on Perfect Dark and this Tomb Raider game just could have been a exclusive first party AAA blowout title for Xbox and now instead it's just been botched because Embracer Group has bought it Amazon is publishing it, and honestly, I think it kind of looks bad for the Tomb Raider brand. Tomb Raider is a premier AAA IP that deserves a premier AAA developer, which they do have. Crystal Dynamics, a great developer, um, but it it deserves a premier AAA publisher to back that up, and I think Square Enix was a publisher like that, but Embracer, absolutely not, and, and they could have utilized Tomb Raider to help get them to that status. This could have been a game to put them in that direction, but rather, it's just going to fucking Amazon. That's so sad. There's something about Amazon where, you know, it's got like that Google Stadia kind of stink to it where it's just like, yeah, but you're Amazon. You guys don't, you can try your hand at gaming, but you don't make legitimate serious games the way that like PlayStation does. You know, you're Amazon. So there's something so kind of gross and like B tier and kind of, there's some like stink on it that Amazon is going to be publishing the new Tomb Raider game. I just find that to be a really bad look uh, for the brand, honestly. And I don't know, man. I, I, I worry about where we are with these teams. Crystal Dynamics is a truly great developer. They're really, really good. I know, you know, there's a lot of back and forth about whether or not that Marvel Avengers game was was good or not and whether it's a game they should have been working on from the start and all these things. But, like, that's the that's the anomaly. You know, whether you like that game or not, regardless, that's, that's an anomaly because Crystal Dynamics' track record is really damn solid. They're a great developer that makes some of the greatest games. They are one of the very rare third-party developers that, you know, makes games on all platforms that I think has a lot of that Sony first-party kind of DNA kind of, and then there's a lot of Sony Santa Monica, the guys behind Gear, uh, God of War, in their in their bones. There's a lot of that Naughty Dog, Uncharted, Last of Us kind of DNA in the in the bones and the DNA of, of Crystal Dynamics, so it's really sad to see them push to this, like, mega conglomerate European, we just buy it all but have no identity and no purpose with these brands and these developers and then for their most important IP to just get kind of shipped out to one of these big tech companies that's like yeah we want to do gaming sure maybe we'll probably give up on it but why not for now I guess and I don't know that's just all that just kind of I think it's I think it puts a little bit of stink on the Tomb Raider's name which is quite unfortunate because dude like I said those those first two in particular the ones made by Crystal Dynamics especially Rise of the Tomb Raider that that's a fucking good game that's a great game in fact I often say you know, Uncharted might be a better story. You might be more invested in the world of Uncharted, but 2015's Rise of the Tomb Raider by Crystal Dynamics. 
that's the best Uncharted game I've ever played. It's a really good game. So uh, we'll just have to continue to see what happens with them. I mean, fucking, yeah. So Embracer now owns Crystal Dynamics, and they're working exclusively with Xbox and Amazon right now on a bunch of games that Embracer's not going to publish. So what a great look for you, Embracer. Why don't you go make another... Uh, Another Saints Row game that sucks. All right, so our next our next story, we got two more. Um, I don't think they'll be nearly as long as the Tomb Raider one, but VGC relays, well, a lot, actually Squash Games, Squash Games, the developer of the newly released High on Life game, uh, have announced that the, the game has broken several notable Xbox Game Pass engagement records, uh, actually, which Microsoft shared. So apparently VGC, Microsoft, Squanch, whatever, shared the information that the comedy first-person shooter, which was released on December 12th and is available as part of Xbox Game Pass and PC, according to Microsoft, has been the Game Pass's biggest launch of 2022, period, the biggest third-party Game Pass launch of all time, period, and the biggest release of a single-player-only game in the subscription services history, period. That's big. Now, obviously, that last one, you can kind of go like, eh, because Game Pass, you know, whenever it gets, you know, day-and-date games, really is multiplayer shit, like Halo, Gears of War 5, you know, the Outriders, MLB The Show, like these big games that they've gotten day and day. It's like, okay, well, these are all multiplayer games, so those don't really count. So for it to be, you know, the biggest single-player only game released day and date on Game Pass, it's like, whatever. But biggest launch of 2022 for a day one Game Pass game? Biggest third-party game launch of all time on Game Pass? It's really damn good, dude. For, from a brand-new team on a brand-new IP, um... With just this really unique marketing slant, this, not marketing slant, but this really unique slant that this game has, it's 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 angle of this game that is just so comedic based from start to finish, and you have these talking alien guns that you walk around with, and it just goes to show you that if you have the right ideas, the right unique ideas, um, really you don't need to just rely on milking the fuck out of an IP over and over and over again. Obviously, this game had a lot of heavy lifting done for in terms of marketing it by being like, hey, the guy behind Rick and Morty is working on a video game. So it's not like it's not like it just it came out of nowhere and it's a completely all original thing by a bunch of nobodies that no one, you know, no one's ever heard of. But uh still, I mean, it's it's a brand new IP. It's a very unique game. And it's really awesome to see, you know, the Xbox market show so much support and be so hungry for something so unique and novel and new. Uh while also, you know, being released at a time where there's so much shit to play, even if you're relying solely on Game Pass content. Um, I just think this is great. I'm, I'm really happy to see this kind of shit. This is awesome news for Squanch Games. Uh, I'm really upset to say this, but I still have not played this game. I was playing on playing it this past weekend, and I still have not gotten to it, but I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Uh, hopefully next week I'll, I'll finally be able to talk about my experience playing it. But, uh, yeah, man, this is this is one of those games. It's, it's um, I saw a lot of people likening because, you know, liking it, to kind of like how Metacritic scores and Rotten Tomato scores work for like movies, uh, where it's just these movies come out, critics will just like shit on it and be like, Me, it's not Scorsese, Me, I didn't like Marvel. And then like all the, the user reviews will just be like, damn, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. It was a really fun movie. I'm, I'm glad I spent $10 in a Saturday afternoon watching this movie, you know? And uh, I feel like this is a game that kind of has a little bit of that, that, uh, that reception, especially in a world where it's like anyone can basically just pick up the game and play it thanks to Game Pass, and you don't need to necessarily put your $50, $60, $70 down to get your foot in the door. And it's a lot of that, where the critic reviews on this game are like, mm, it was not God of War, it was not made by Sony, me. And then all their user reviews are like, hey, this game's a lot of fun, it's really unique, and it, it made me laugh a lot, I like it. 
nine out of ten. <laughs> so I, I'm glad that um, you know I'm sure the game has some legitimate gripe or legitimate ser- uh I'm sure the game has some legitimate problems. You know, I'm sure the reason why critics are a little hard on it isn't for absolutely nothing. Uh, but I mean, it, it does look like the game is has been uh, quite a success, quite an entertaining get for gamers, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for players of Game Pass. I'm excited for Squanch Games on what seems like a really well deserved success, and I'm excited. I'm excited for what these kinds of things mean for the potential for new, creative, unique ideas to find a home and find great success. Um, especially in places like Game Pass, where it gives people an opportunity to play lots of new cool shit that they may not otherwise play. And I don't know. Can you think of an idea of a game that's... Can you think of a game that maybe is a better example than High on Life of this kind of thing, where it kind of is such a perfect Game Pass game? Because I feel like High on Life is the quintessential, like, that's a game where I would see a trailer for it and be like, oh, that's that's unique, that's interesting, that's cool. But if it comes out at a time where there's like seven other games I want to play, I might be like, mm, I'll get to it later. And then I might never get get around to it ever. Or I might not get around to it for like three or five years. But putting this game into Game Pass day one, all I got to do is boot it up and give it a try. Eh. All of a sudden, you get a lot more people to be like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'll give it a go. It looks very interesting. I might not spend $60 on it, but I'll give it a go because it looks interesting if it's on Game Pass. And look at it. The game is just fucking thriving because of it. So that's that's really great. So big, big congrats to Squanch. I know a lot of you guys out there playing it right now, loving it. So, again, love to hear your feedback on that. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully this weekend I will finally get to play this game. I was very busy last week. But that is it for uh, that. And then our last story, our wrap-up story, uh, before we get into the what I've been eating, what I've been playing, and the actual news. Five senior developers at EA's Criterion have left the studio following the launch of Need for Speed Unbound, which just came out about a week ago. GamesIndustry.biz reports that Matt Webster, VP, GM of Criterion, executive producer Peak Lake, head studio development Alan McDermott, head of content Steve Uphill, and senior tech director Andre Shires have left to explore new opportunities outside of EA. All departing members of the team worked on Criterion for more than a decade, with Matt Webster remaining at EA for over 23 years. Webster worked on the original FIFA title. Criterion's latest release, Need for Speed Unbound, was met with positive, critical, and player sentiment. Yeah, I mean, obviously, best wishes to the people leaving. Uh, I wonder if there's a lot of shit going on behind the scenes with Criterion, all these other teams kind of being shifted around. You guys get put on Need for Speed. You guys are on... F1 and uh, what's that? God, what's that? What's that fucking rally game? Dirt that they now own because they uh, because EA bought Codemasters. And I just wonder like what the Codemasters acquisition and the shifting around of different racing dev talent and all these teams and all these IP have to do with maybe this departure where maybe there's a lot of redundancy in staff now or there's a lot of shifting around from upper management about who's going to work on what and a lot of dissatisfaction with people being like, this isn't really where I wanted to spend my time making racing games or how, how I want to do this. And it's just, um, I don't know. It's, um, I just can't help but feel like this has everything to do with the Codemasters acquisition. And, uh, that's, it's a little unfortunate because you're losing, uh, you're losing some, you're losing some really serious talent. I mean, we're talking about people that brought you burnout, <laughs> like one of the most beloved racing games of all time. An IP that EA still owns, but absolutely refuses to go back to and do anything meaningful with. And it's just, um, I don't know. It's just kind of crazy that EA has just this access to talent and IP, and they just sunk it all into the guys that make Dirt. Which, no offense, that Dirt's a great series. The F1 games, I'm sure those are those are good, but 
I don't know, man. There's got to be a lot of displeasement and shakeup and just reshuffling that's angering some people over at EA as a result of this Codemasters acquisition. I would not be surprised if the departure of these uh, tenured, very uh, seniored talent behind behind these kinds of games, if maybe that's why they're leaving. So wishing them all the best. And that's your update for that. So, guys, that brings us into the uh, the news news, but you know how it goes over on the Xbox On Podcast. We're never straightforward. We always got to dilly-dally and fuck around. So, let's talk about the games I've been playing this week. And before we talk about that, I will first tell you what I've been eating. You guys, I don't know what happened this week. I, I had plans. I had plans. I was going to finish. I was going to finish. Um, I was going to finish the Callisto Protocol. I was going to start High on Life. I was going to go to Culver's and... and, and, and pick up exactly the items I had been instructed to try out, but it just, uh, I don't know, man. It just, uh, I was busy. I was working on that new video, and then I was doing some house hunting. Not that I'm even in the market to buy a house right now, because who the fuck can afford a home right now? But I, I just I just kept busy. I was doing adult things uh, with my girlfriend or working on a video, and my excuse is just that I simply didn't get it done. But Chicago Gamer 420, if you're listening, uh, I, I do have your Culver's order and that you recommended, and I do still plan on trying all of that hopefully next week. But uh, until then, let's talk about what I did eat this week and then what I did play. Um, guys, shout out to Asian bakeries. Got to give a shout out to the Asian bakeries. So I don't know really like what the proper way to refer to this kind of thing is, but you know. You go, the, the Asian supermarkets, you know, depending on what state or what city you live in, you might be familiar with what I'm talking about. You know, you got, like, the Korean markets, like Super H Mart and shit like that. And a lot a lot of these, like, Asian part of towns, they got, like, these bakeries, and they're just kind of the best bakeries in the world. And, and I feel like there's just not enough love given to these, I don't know, where I'm from in Georgia, it's a lot of, like, Korean-owned bakeries. But it's it can be anything. Like, here, here in Orlando, we have really good Vietnamese bakeries. But there's kind of a similarity with a lot of them in terms of like this overarching thing of like desserts that are insanely affordable, insanely beautiful and very mild in like a really nice way in in terms of like flavor and sweetness to where, you know, it's like, Oh look, it's like a pastry or a piece of cake and I can eat it and not feel like I'm going into a diabetic coma instantly. It's just like very light, very fluffy, very fragrant, very mild sweets and desserts and pastries and things like that. I just gotta give a shout out to these bakeries because they're all—they're always like really pretty on the inside. They always have really beautiful desserts, really tasty desserts, really unique uh, desserts, and really, really competitive, awesome pricing. And I just feel like you know, I don't know—we just—we just don't talk about this, especially in America. I feel like the only time people bring up American bakeries is when some fucking douchebag from New York is like, "Oh my god, from New York, you get a bagel, you get a bagel and coffee. It's all about the water." And it's like, shut up, shut, fuck off, dude. Go back to New York. No one cares. But the Asian bakeries, they're not getting enough love. They're not getting enough respect. Here in Orlando, we only have one big Asian supermarket. And for those, I guess, who don't know, a lot of times, dude, shout out to the Asian supermarkets. They're kind of like Target, where it's like it's like a fun store to shop in because they got like all the products you want to look at and buy. But also at the front of the store, they also got like little vendors that you kind of want to fuck with. You know, like you go to you, you go to a Target and you're like, oh, okay, some a little bit of Starbucks, right? Similar thing when you go to like an Asian uh, grocery store, especially like the big ones like the Lotes or the Super H Marts where it's like they got like a bakery in the front. They got like a food court, but it's not like a shitty mall food court where all the food kind of sucks. It's like actually pretty damn good food. And again, prices is usually pretty reasonable and uh, it's awesome. So my girlfriend and I, we live pretty far away from the nearest Asian uh, grocery store. The, uh, the the big one here is Lotte, Korean uh, grocery chain. And uh, it's about 
40 minutes from us. So we don't make it out there often, but every couple of months we got to go out there to kind of stock up on some ingredients that you aren't really able to easily find at like Walmart and shit. So we, we do it. So we, we made the trek out there this weekend. And uh, while we were there, I spent a little bit of extra time and extra money that I normally don't spend at, at the bakery. And I just got to give a shout out, man, because I'm talking about a slice of like fucking beautiful, like green tea cake, light, airy, mildly sweet, perfect. I'm talking about these little like cheesecake bites and they're not, they're not like cheesecake the way you're thinking. It's not like dense, creamy, cheesy, thick, makes you feel like shit. I'm talking about like angel food cake, light, airy texture. You bite into it, you get a faint, fragrant, like cheesecakey kind of hint to an otherwise, otherwise very mild, not too sweet, not too creamy, kind of like cake consistency, little pastry thing. You get a, a beautiful little croissant dipped in chocolate, dusted with some almond shavings. This shit's so good, dude. It's so fucking good. And every time I go to these places, I'm, I'm talking about like pastries are like $2. You go to like one of these like boutique French bakeries anywhere you go, any city you live in. If I'm talking, if you're, if you're in America and you're listening to this, I know damn well what it's like where you live. You find your nearest fucking bakery. It's some goddamn basic bitch who's like 27 years old and her rich dad bought her a little, a little boutique store and she got an iPad POS system in the corner there and she'd be selling like $8 cupcakes that are just okay. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You fucking know it. I bet you one of those cupcakes has like chunks of Kit Kat broken on top because there's creative. There's a there's a lack of creativity when it comes to what this what this bakery what this bakery can do in the in the kitchen. But baby, it's not like that. These Asian bakeries. You go over to these places and it's like, oh, here's a giant ass fucking slice of cake. That'll be three dollars and forty seven cents. Oh, here's a here's a beautiful. Um, pastry stuffed with a blueberry cream sauce that I can't even begin to describe to you, but it's just fucking amazing. And $2.15, I don't know, why not? And it's like, okay, well, shit, man. Let me get a, let me get like a milk tea with that or like a latte with that. It's like, okay, $3? What the, what the fuck is happening at these bakeries? They're pretty to look at. Like they're really like well-themed and lit and they're aesthetically nice. The desserts are presented perfectly. The pricing is amazing. The staff is nice. It's like, what the fuck am I doing here? Why would I ever go to a Starbucks and spend $27 on, I don't know, 45 minutes in line in a fucking burnt latte? It's like, what am am I doing anywhere else? So I just want to give a shout out to the Asian bakeries. I miss the ones in Atlanta because we had a lot more to choose from. We just had so many more Asian bakeries, Asian restaurants, Asian grocery stores, whether, you know, everything. Choose from everything. Chinese restaurants, Vietnamese restaurants, Korean restaurants, Thai restaurants. Here in Orlando, we got... We got a pretty good variety where we like in the part of town where you got it, but it's just overall it's much smaller. But shout out to it. It's growing, it's there, and I appreciate it. And I look forward to it every time. So shout out to the Asian bakeries. If you haven't ever been to one, do yourself a fucking favor. Also, shout out to Sweet Hut. That's the one back home that I used to love. Sweet Hut, may you be doing great. I hope you uh, I hope you survived the pandemic well. All right, next up. Oh, also, Sam Torres. This is also related to what I've been eating. Sam Torres writes in and says, Jesse, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Sam Torres. Do you like eggnog? Sam Torres. Eggnog's fine. I like eggnog. I haven't, I don't think I tried eggnog for the first time until I was like probably 18 or 19. I'm, I'm not even talking about alcoholic eggnog. I'm just talking about any variant of eggnog. I just, I just never had it until pretty recently in life, until like maybe the past 10 years or so. Eggnog's fine. I like it. It's good. Um, I don't have strong opinions or feelings on eggnog either which way. I know there are people who are like vehemently passionate and, um, tied to like their their brand of eggnog i know there's a lot of debate in the community about that i don't think i'm experienced enough with the product to have a take like that but i do enjoy eggnog i do enjoy its festivitynessness. and uh you know what i actually like way more than eggnog is uh coquito it's it's much better 
you know, it's a it, it's a similar, you know, a Puerto Rican Christmas time alternative. It's kind of a, a creamy, dairy-based, rum-spiced drink. It's good shit. Very good shit, actually. That that I probably drink Coquito a lot more than um a lot more than than uh, eggnog, but both are great. Both are good. I wouldn't say both are great. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever had an eggnog like that's, that's great, but I like eggnog. Okay, we're done. We're done. I'm sorry. I feel like I, I should have had like more to say about eggnog. I just don't. I just don't. All right, let's talk about what I've been playing because I haven't been playing a whole lot. I spent, like I said, almost my entire weekend editing this uh, this new video that just went up as well as uh, shopping around and fawning over pastries at the Asian bakery that probably made me 20 pounds heavier than I am uh, than I was last week. So, well, I did get a little bit of time to play here and there. I'm talking about like 20-minute spurts here and there. And so what I did do with my time was I played some Halo Infinite because, I, I got to be honest, I, I couldn't find enough free time to sit down and really finish Callisto Protocol. And it's a game, you know, you don't play Callisto Protocol in 20-minute increments. You sit down, you put on your headphones, you turn on the lights, and you play it for two to three hours straight, and you get some progress done, you know? And I just I just couldn't find that kind of time this weekend. So I just played Halo Infinite, you know, 20 minutes here, 30 minutes there. And um, damn it, dude, I just, I have nothing else to say here other than... Halo Infinite continues to just finally be the game I, I needed it to be this whole fucking year. From from January until like a month ago, I was just bitching and moaning about Halo. How what a disappointment it's been all year. And then finally, in the last minute, they pulled through. Here it is. Halo Infinite. Cannot recommend it enough. It's just such a such a fun game to play right now. Uh great wealth of content available to you as well. Other than that, uh, I'm just really not playing games at the moment. I'm trying to get back to it. Hopefully this weekend I'll be playing some. Uh, you know, I don't have a very busy Christmas going on, but I'm also not getting any time off work for Christmas this year. So we'll see. It's just a regular weekend. I'm going to try try to finish up Close to Protocol and get to High on Life. Um, but, you know, whatever. I can't I can't ignore my girlfriend on Christmas. we got to spend the day together. So it's just a matter of what we can, what we can do with a Friday night and a Saturday, uh, Christmas Eve kind of lounging lazy day. So we'll see. We'll see. You guys, we'll see. All right, that's it for all the top of the podcast stuff. Guys, let's take a break and get into the main news. We only got one story really to talk about. And then I got these fun these fun topics, the top five Xbox stories, I think, of 2022, as well as a little retrospective on the year to see, was it that bad? Was it better than we thought? Let's talk about some of the games that came out this year and, uh, and made it the year it ended up being. So all that in just a second here. Let's take a break. All right, we are back. See, to you, it was just two seconds, but to me, I took a 10-minute break. I did some stretching, drank some water, and of course, I pet my kitty. But you would never know unless I told you. All right, guys, we only have one like real traditional story this week, and then the rest of it is just kind of our fun segments I've put together here. Well, that's it's kind of because I pushed some of these otherwise normal stories into like smaller segments because... Frankly, I just don't give a shit about talking. It's Christmas time, okay? You know, I don't want to talk about Activision and all the, the CMA shit and the FTC shit. I just want to talk about Santa Claus and reindeer and little elves and jumping down chimneys and breaking into houses and not triggering the ADT alarms despite the fact that they're you know, coming through the front door, which is probably what Santa Claus really does because there's no fucking way that fat ass is getting down a chimney pole. Whatever. Guys, let's talk about this first news story and only news story. Again, coming from Windows Central, I guess we were just a bunch of Jez Corden stands today, but uh, he's got the scoop, so let's do it. 
As as he uh, as he reported, he says, "quote A recent confluence of events has led to some specu- has led some to speculate that Microsoft could be exploring a cheaper tier of Xbox Game Pass, supported by ads." A post buried by rec- on in a recent era thread appears to show a recent survey that was sent out to Xbox users asking for how they'd feel about additional tier of Xbox Game Pass. If real, the purported d- tier would cost three dollars per month and provide an access to a variety of Game Pass content with some fairly generous limitations. It would include EA access like an EA access like vault of first party titles from Xbox with a similar six month delay on new games from hitting the service. Those who access these download only Xbox uh, games via this tier would be asked to view an ad before the game starts rolling. Assuming that the information is real, this tier could also include online multiplayer access, which is currently $10 a month and offers no games beyond the severely diminished Xbox Live Games with Gold program. Games with Gold now generally only includes two Xbox One Indies title, indie titles per month and has been the subject of criticism and criticism for some time now. The supposed ad-supported tier would aggressively undercut the monthly tier of Xbox Live Gold, potentially becoming a head-scratcher for the in this equation. Would Microsoft really be willing to sacrifice $10 a month Xbox Live Gold subscription for the far cheaper version, which also includes a vast amount of Xbox games? Would ad revenues be able to make up for the potential shortfall here? Microsoft does offer Xbox Live Gold at $60 a year as well, working on out to $5 per month. But even at this price, there's still a deficit to account for when accounting for millions of users. Whether or not the economics work out in this scenario is up for debate, but it certainly seems as though Xbox and Microsoft are exploring an ad-supported tier of Game Pass in some format. A recent patent filed by the company covers technology that predicts when in-game activity has decreased, Perhaps due to loading screens, for example, then Xbox would serve up an ad based on users' privacy settings and interests. Online ads have been growing in segment of Microsoft's Bing business for quite some time, and while other subscription services like Netflix exploring ad options here, it makes sense to see Microsoft explore the same route. So I'm very much of the mindset, one, this survey is probably real. Two, this survey is probably just exploring ideas because this is what you do. You gather lots of data. Surveys are not always indicative of something that is no doubt happening. And the reason I feel like I I know this is just because uh, you you guys know I'm a a big Disney theme park fan. And a huge part of the Disney theme park fan community is deciphering and analyzing through survey data. Because a really big thing that happens in the theme park industry at large is – you go to a theme park and you get an email the next day asking about your visit. And these in the Disney community, it's kind of a thing. Like people have a lot of fun with these, like always doing these surveys and studying the questions and seeing which questions are new and things like that. So happens all the time. You'll go to Disney World, you just spend a day at the fucking park or whatever. Sometimes you don't even. Sometimes you just go. You spend. A, you go to a restaurant at one of the resorts, whatever the case may be. And then you come home and the next day, boom. You got an email in your inbox that's from Disney. And it's like, hey, we'd love to do a survey with you. Universal sends these out all the time. When I used to go to Six Flags back in Atlanta, they sent them out all the time. They're fun. It's fun to do these surveys because they ask a lot of questions like this, where it's like questions that lead you to believe maybe they're working on some crazy-ass idea, but really they're just trying to gather data. And so I, I almost wonder if this is one of those things where – it's like, shit, is Xbox going to do a subscription tier that's, like, ad-based? I mean, maybe. Obviously, you know, they, they got to explore this option. You'd be stupid not to. There's a reason why all these other subscription services explore and ultimately offer some kind of ad-based tier. But it doesn't always necessarily mean that we're going to get just that. So it's it's a little bit of, like, a, you know, a 50-50. I personally don't think this means we're getting a ad ad-based tier game pass especially at three dollars a month 
The thing I do find more logical is this idea of like a tier of Game Pass where it is cheaper, but you get your games six months later, like first party content six months after the release. I feel like that is a far more likely alternative. That That is kind of the hang up though, is how do you price that aggressively in a world where Xbox Live Gold still exists? And it's kind of hard to figure out how to do this properly because I know a lot of Xbox fans, you know, we talked about this year quite a bit. Get rid of Xbox Live Gold. It's time, you know, it's time to stop charging people to play online. Just make Game Pass $15 a month, you know, flat out. And then if, you know, whatever, you know, that's it. It's like you pay $15 a month for Game Pass and you get rid of games with gold altogether. And then if you just want to play games online, then then that's free. That's how that needs to work. Um, I, the thing is, I feel like you have to make that decision a long time in advance if you're going to eventually transition to a new cheaper tier of Game Pass where it's like, oh yeah, this, this tier gives you games six months after they come out and it, it, it gives you access to online play because otherwise you kind of cannibalize this whole thing or you, or you fuck up the value proposition by adding in Xbox Live, you know, for ten for for five to ten dollars a month just to play games online and what for access to games with gold, this thing that never, that undoubtedly sucks. It just it doesn't make sense when you compare all these offerings. Um, you either have to price the ad based Game Pass tier too high to be worth it, because it has to be it has to be a significant amount cheaper than the regular Game Pass in order to be worth it. Because no one wants ads, especially not on Game Pass, especially not on their video game subscription service. And then, if the if the main if the main cost saving is that you get new Xbox first party games six months after they come out instead of day and date, then you know the difference between a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there. It's going to be worth everyone's time to just go with the more expensive Game Pass tier. So you're not really going to entice anyone to get this cheaper one if you're cannibalizing it by having this weird ten dollar a month Xbox Live thing in the middle of it all. Or maybe you have to have this in addition to Game Pass. But then how does that work? Is it's like you know, you can do Game Pass for $10 a month or Game Pass ad base for $3 a month. And then you can do Game Pass Ultimate for $15 a month or what? Like a Game Pass ad based sub ultimate version for like $8 a month. I don't know. Like, how do you how do you work that math? out? How do you make that happen? And I just I just feel like there's too many variables in gaming that it doesn't make sense at the end of the day. Like you're not you're not going to win over gamers with this with this kind of value proposition because it's just going to end up in people first of all cannibalizing all your Xbox Live Gold subscribers and then two significantly dropping the amount of money revenue or uh, yeah revenue you're bringing in because now people have to choose between a three dollar subscription a ten dollar subscription a fifteen dollar subscription you know ad based regular Game Pass and Ultimate that's going to drop off so many of those five to ten dollar a month uh, payers from Xbox Live and it just I don't know, man. The whole thing just doesn't make sense because if you're going to require someone to have Xbox Live Gold in, in order to have this $3 a month Game Pass ad-based subscriptions here, then that's just $13 a month and you're only $2 away from just having Game Pass Ultimate. So, like, why would you just do, you know, what? So, it, none of that makes sense. And maybe I'm getting too hung up on the price. I mean, who knows? Maybe this survey is from a different country where they would be a little bit more aggressive and offer this for $3 a month. But maybe, like, for example, here in the States, it would be, like, seven, like $6.99 or something. I don't, I don't know. But I just feel like the only way this would work is if you didn't have if you didn't have Xbox Live in the middle to kind of gunk it up. And even if you didn't, all you're doing is just cannibalizing a steady stream of income you've already you've already grown accustomed to with Xbox Live Gold, which you wouldn't want to do, especially at the hand of your subscription gaming service, which doesn't make money. It just 
you know, you pull subscribers, you add revenue, no doubt, but it doesn't make money because the cost of running Game Pass and supporting Game Pass is so astronomical. So I just, I just don't get how any of that really makes sense. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't disbelieve in the possibility of an ad-based Game Pass tier. I, th- I think the six-month delay is the big one. Like, I feel like that's the big way to differentiate. And then I guess you'd throw the ads in because, you know, it's a new way to make money is through ad support. But I just, like, how do you successfully, so what does that look like? So it's like you have Game Pass with ads, you download, you download High on Life, and it's like, cool, you boot up the game, but first you got to watch an ad. And then, and then after the ad, the game loads up, and then it's like, when do you watch another ad? When does the game decide you watch another ad? That'd be so fucking frustrating if I'm in the middle of a boss fight and I keep dying, and after like my fifth death, the game is like, time for an ad. Okay, you done you done dying? Okay, now get back to, like, that would piss me off. So I just don't see how you do this, because you get into a zen state, you get into a state, like a, 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 a state within each game you play in a groove, and if an ad is breaking up that gameplay, that fundamentally breaks the experience so much more than like when you're watching a TV show and it has a designed commercial break portion where they throw an ad in like this. These are very, very different things. So I, I just personally don't know how they're going to pull that off successfully, but I don't totally think it's a terrible idea to have an ad based version, whatever. I mean, game passes issue right now. Isn't the, the value proposition. That's kind of the other weird angle of this is, no one's issue with Game Pass is that, like, oh, it's just too expensive. But I understand you will get more subscribers by having a cheaper cost tier, and you will absolutely, no doubt, service some segment of the market by by having this. I just, I, I feel like the people who aren't subscribed to Game Pass right now, it has more to do with the kinds of games that are being offered and less to do with the price that Microsoft is asking for. And so, I don't know. It's just, if this is something that's to happen, I feel like this would probably be something pretty far down the, down the road. But yeah, the thing, I, the, the hurdle I can't get over is that is that sacrificing all that all that Xbox Live Gold money because because that part just makes no sense to me. Why you would do that when your only other service isn't profitable? You know, they're they're quite the opposite. Xbox Live Gold is just a money maker because it costs almost nothing to keep those servers going and keep online functionality afloat. But Game Pass is just the opposite, where it's like they don't make money off of that. They just Try to get as many subscribers as they possibly can because this thing's insanely expensive to run. So I don't know why you'd get rid of the profitable one to add yet another tier that's even even less profitable, offers even less potential to make money than the thing that you're getting rid of to to add this option into. I don't I don't know. I'll stop there just because this is so inarticulate. I just I just don't see what they do with this. Um, but nonetheless, very interesting to think about a potential ad based subscription service. Honestly, if I mean, maybe if you're a casual gamer, this is this is a way to get super casual gamers to try out Game Pass. But dude, if if you put an ad in front of my fucking game, I will be so pissed. I will I will sell my Xbox and go to PlayStation so fast if you make me watch ads in the middle of my game. But obviously, that kind of shit's not aimed at me because I would absolutely always buy the ad-free, more expensive tier. So I'm not really the target market. All right, let's uh let's move away from that. I, I don't I don't I, I came here today to talk about fun stuff. I didn't come here to talk about the news. All right, guys. So this the, the the main crux of this episode, this week's show, is I want to do this fun sto- story, top five story thing, right? So as we as we finish up the year, I want to look back on what were the big stories in Xbox news of 2022, and kind of rank from five to number one, the most important, uh, what these big stories were, and kind of what impact they had on Xbox and on on the 
community. I mean, I think no doubt 2022 is going to go down as one of those years that just changed everything in a lot of ways. Um, obviously, the number one story is going to be, I'm sure you already know what it is, and we all know why, but there's some other big stories uh, that happened this year that I just think kind of send massive shocks through the industry because we just continue to see the industry rapidly change into something that I don't think really many of us ever saw coming. So the first, I'm going from five to one. That's the rule here is we're going from um, the the least impactful to the most impactful. Although now that I look at the list, I might I might switch these down in number in terms of importance, but I'm kind of thinking of them in terms of how these stories affected like traffic numbers for the show and how much how impactful it felt for me to get to talk about them on the show to you guys. And so that's kind of the approach I took here. So our number five story, uh, biggest story of, of number five, biggest story of 2022 was we actually already talked about it a little bit. Embracer buying Crystal Dynamics, IDOS Montreal and, uh, and Square Enix Montreal from Square Enix. Uh, they then took Square Enix Montreal, rebranded it and then shut it down. Uh, they also, bought Tuxedo Labs. They also bought Limited Run Games. They also bought Tripwire Interactive. Shout out to Georgia. Uh, they also bought Singtrix. And they also bought a ton of other things like the IP rights to the entire Lord of the Rings franchise, which still fucking pisses me off and blows my mind. So Embracer got huge. Embracer, I think, is they are a huge uh, part of this mass consolidation of the industry move that we've been witnessing. Uh, and you know, I talk ad nauseum about how I don't really love this move, but Embracer being one of the teams that upsets me the upsets me less than some others, just because I don't want Tencent getting involved in things. But Embracer, um, dude, I, I mean, they bought some super notable shit, and they have like we we said earlier, they have Tomb Raider, they have Crystal Dynamics, one of the great developers in the industry. They have the Lord of the Rings IP. What the fuck is that all about? Uh, they continue to just grow and grow and grow and not have a whole lot to show for it. I mean, they're releasing games, but it's a lot of like eh, remasters of games from the PS2 era that were like good, but not great or, or like, you know, sequels to like B tier games and just, they they haven't, I love this. Like, I like this a lot about Embracer and for me, it works what they've been doing, but ultimately I think in order for them to become a successful video game publisher they're gonna have to start putting out some some mega hit games some really big stuff that's gonna sell tens of millions of copies and 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 really add to the conversation i feel like they've completely failed to do that and where they have potential to maybe do that with things like crystal dynamics and tomb raider they've dropped the ball by outsourcing this shit to amazon so it's uh it's just it's interesting to see embracer continue to grow and grow and grow while seeming somewhat volatile and unstable as they just kind of operate in a uncharacteristic way they have so many teams i think they have like a hundred teams or something like that at this point between all the shit they own and they buy dark horse comics they just keep buying shit but they have seemingly not a whole lot to show for kind of like microsoft a little bit although i actually have more confidence that microsoft is gonna put stuff out at some point in time embracer on the other hand i'm just like they just keep buying stuff. I don't really know where the money comes from. They just keep buying and buying and buying. But I thought that was a huge story this this uh, this year that, you know, it's going to have lasting impact. You know, Crystal Dynamics in particular, that one gets me. These guys are part of a, a just a grab it all and just push shit out kind of publisher. Uh, whereas they used to be tied with one of the most well-respected, well-regarded publishers in the industry with, with Square Enix. And now <laughs> they're they're subcontracting for Microsoft and Amazon instead of working for their actual parent company these days. All right, the number four story, and this one might be a little short side just because I think in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to matter that much. But in the context of the here and now, I think it does matter. And this is the GTA 6 leaks 
Rockstar is such a buttoned up studio historically that it, it is weird for anything to to leak out of there out of their uh out of them I should say um you know generally I mean like you don't really hear anything about it until they're ready to talk about their new game. So the fact that even before we got this gameplay footage leak that we got like details from Bloomberg and stuff about like, Oh, the story's going to take place in like uh, South Florida. And you're going to play as a female protagonist. It's going to have like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of thing. Even that was a little like un- unusual just because again, with Rockstar, it's like you just don't hear anything until they are ready to talk generally speaking. And so I don't know the fact that we all just woke up one morning. It's like, boom, here's GTA footage all over the internet. Tons of clips, tons of bits and pieces of footage. That was huge. Um, just because, I mean, this is like the franchise in gaming, right? I, I don't know. Like when you think about the all time biggest franchises in gaming, there's Grand Theft Auto, there's Call of Duty, you know, there's not, there's not a whole lot else that commands this level of attention and it sells this level of copies and all that. And it's just GTA is such a rare every now and then kind of eventful game, especially now that we're like going on <laughs> by the time this game comes out, GTA five will be like a decade old, uh, or, or more. And it's just that I don't know. There's just so much pent up demand and interest in Grand Theft Auto Six because it's one of those games that commands the attention far beyond the games industry, far beyond hardcore gamers. It's just everyone plays GTA, you know. And for that, for that information to just get thrown out and leaked out, I think it was crazy because fans are super hungry for information. I think they were excited to gobble that shit up. Um, I think for Rockstar, they've never had to deal with something like this before. And now a game that is probably no doubt going to be the biggest game when it comes out for that year and then probably for years to come is is now just pushed out there into the ether for everyone to kind of criticize and and discuss and dissect before it's even really properly ready to be shown. Um, conversely, I, I do struggle with the story a little bit because even though it was a huge deal when it happened, I don't think in the long term that this has much of a negative ramification because, I mean, dude, it's Grand Theft Auto. The game is going to sell like absolute crack no matter what. And it seemed like from the leaks, a lot of the reception was like, it was just a lot of people interested to see what this game is. Now, not so much like, oh, the game looks like dog shit. I think a lot of people were sensitive to an understanding of the fact that this game, this game was a work a work in progress. And, um, I don't know it seems like for the most part, the reaction was more optimism and excitement and not negativity. So this is one of those things where when this game is finally out in a year or two, um, people are going to look back on it and they're not going to think about like, Oh, remember how fucked this game was? Cause it leaked. They're going to be like, no GTA six is great. It's more Grand Theft Auto. Let's buy a hundred million copies of it and, uh, launch into the stratosphere with, uh, with, with copies sold for take two. So that's, I don't know. That's, that's, that that was just such a big story when it happened. Obviously, something that gathered so much attention and people were so interested in. Um, although ultimately, I feel like, in hindsight, once that game is long passed out, it will be something that ultimately is meaningless. But for for the for the time being, I think people knowing that GTA Six is undoubtedly real and they've seen it, and they gotten a taste of what it looks like. It's just gonna keep GTA on the forefront of gamers' minds. Where where's more? Where's more? When's it coming? And that's that's where we are with Grand Theft Auto now. I uh, think the number three one, so this one's kind of a little bit of a, meh. it affects Xbox, no doubt, but it is technically a Sony story, but it is so intertwined and related to Xbox that I felt like we had to bring it up. And that is, and maybe I'll, I'll give you kind of like a backup one to this if you want to maybe disqualify this, but my number three story is Sony buys Bungie. 
And technically, this should be the number two story because, again, I think our, our actual number two is kind of like our number four story where in the long run, once you know, once all is said and done, the dust, the dust settles, I think people aren't going to care about number two as much in the future as they do today. But number three is a big one that's going to have, you know, industry influencing long-lasting um, consequences because it's huge. Sony bought Bungie. They did it. It's already done. Bungie is owned by Sony. Uh, It's crazy. This happened shortly after the Xbox Activision announcement um, back in February. And this was a quick deal. It was was done super quick. And it's a little different, right? Because Bungie did not get absorbed into Sony's PlayStation first party library. It's like a like a like a Naughty Dog or an Insomniac or something like that. They are getting to kind of operate independently, but be owned by Sony and not really even be associated with a PlayStation brand. It's interesting. It's like they're owned by Sony Interactive Entertainment and they are just kind of doing interactive entertainment related things while not being part of the PlayStation brand necessarily. So it's it's very different. It's even a little more distance and removed than what Xbox is doing with Bethesda, where Bethesda is kind of getting to operate independently of Xbox Game Studios, but you can tell by the way they talk about it and market it and work together that there is a little bit more of a a harmony and a coexistence between Xbox Game Studio and uh, and uh, Bethesda. But especially with Sony and Bungie, it seems like Bungie really is pretty much 100% a separate thing. But we know it's not because the reason Sony bought Bungie wasn't because they wanted to make Destiny an exclusive game for PlayStation. It's because they, they Sony, you know, as the rumors go and as the speculation goes, Sony is heavily, heavily investing in trying to get into games as a service, live service type games and push out a bunch of products like this. And what better way to get in this industry and become a, a master at this, especially if you're like Sony and you have no experience in this because you only make single player, third person action dad simulators. What better way to get into this than to buy the undeniable, undisputed kings of the of the of the play space of the live service multiplayer play space, which is no doubt Bungie because Bungie fucking rock. And there's no denying that Bungie is so responsible and so influential in our current age of multiplayer live service type gaming with the advent of Destiny 1 and 2. There's no denying the massive impact the Destiny franchise has had on gaming that we are still feeling to this day with live service games and computer menus on console because I don't understand why every game nowadays wants to do like a computer cursor and hold A for three seconds to confirm. But no doubt, all joking aside, that Destiny has been massively influential. Bungie, again, just like they did with Halo, have proven that they are a visionary team, that they, they see what gaming can be or where it can go. And that's always the project they it seems like they make. And uh, so it was, a, it was a wise investment, a wise buy for Sony, but no doubt this has massive ramifications for Xbox because even though Destiny will continue to be an Xbox game, it is possible, you know, now Sony owns Bungie. Sony owns Bungie. So it is possible, even though today and tomorrow, the idea is that Bungie will operate independently and they're not taking games away from Xbox is a very different move for Sony. There's no saying, there's no reason why Sony couldn't change their mind in the future and say, fuck you, Xbox. We're not putting new Bungie games on Xbox. You know, Xbox is in the process of trying to buy Activision Blizzard and Sony's super pissed about it and trying everything in their power to stop it. There's no. You know, there's nothing that says Sony can't just deny Xbox access to the next Bungie made game in a couple of years uh, out of out of out of uh, sourness over this uh, Activision Xbox deal. It could happen. 
And it's just crazy because, I mean, Bungie used to be an Xbox team and then they were independent for a long time and now they're with Sony. And so it's just such a big piece of Xbox history now owned and gone to the competitor. I mean, Xbox is number one franchise to this day. The thing we still talk about the most, Halo. That's a, that's a Bungie child right there. And it's still the mascot and, this, and the poster child of the Xbox brand made by a developer that is now owned by Sony. That's crazy. So that's going to continue to be a really uh, a really interesting change in relationship and in a relationship that has yet to grow and foster and be really built out that I'm going to be super interested to see Sony and what they do with Bungie. And we know Bungie are apparently working on some kind of uh, hero-based shooter. Uh, but, I mean, other than that, you know, Destiny can't be going on forever. I'm sure they're going to have some other ideas, some other games. And this looks like they'll be working a lot with some Sony first-party game developers to try and bring some of what they do best into Sony's space so Sony can make some Fortnite competitor or whatever the hell it is they're trying to do. So, yeah, I would say that's the number three story. Now, if you say, Jesse, that's that's a little bit too much of a PlayStation story, then I'll say, okay, th- this is a um, top story number 3B. If that was 3A, this is 3B, which I would say is the ongoing woes of Halo Infinite. You could say that would be the alternative to number three. If you want to make it more Xbox-centric in a direct sense, it's still kind of related to Bungie because it's it's Halo, but obviously Halo is now 3 for 3. But, yeah, I think <laughs> if you wanted to, yeah, put it another way. Halo Infinite, just a game we have talked about ad nauseum all throughout the year. Key talent leaving. Tom French has left. Um, Bonnie Ross is now gone. She's no longer the head of 343. Uh, and then all throughout the year, just all this mess of like Forge is delayed. No no uh, split screen co-op. No any of this shit. Just things constantly being cut, delayed, pushed back. Eight month season two. All this kind of stuff. And it's been really, really rough for uh, for Halo Infinite. And that, that has just continued to be a really unfortunate and and rough story for a game that should have just been a massive slam dunk success as it was at at launch how it should have been able to sustain that success but ultimately really really fucking sucked at at sustaining that success and unfortunately now it's paid the price because halo infinite while sure it's popular multiplayer game and it's doing fine is it's not ever going to get back to where it was unless unless it has unless that battle royale mode comes out and it apex legends the fuck out of halo i don't think there's any way you know the way apex legends just we we went from respawn being like here's titanfall and everyone's like this is great but no one's gonna play it and like here's titanfall 2 it's like this is even better but still people are not gonna play it and be like well fuck uh, here's a battle royale set in the Titanfall universe and all of a sudden it's like, boom, biggest game ever. <laughs> so maybe, who knows, maybe that happens. Maybe Halo Infinite puts a battle royale in it and it just becomes the biggest thing ever. But at least for now, Halo Infinite is permanently damaged, which is unfortunate because as we were just talking about a little bit ago, the game is so goddamn good now. But it's permanently damaged because they fucked it up. They mismanaged it and they fucked everything up. So Microsoft really needs to take, uh, take the L on that. All right, our definitive number two story which I actually said could probably interchange with three, depending on how you want to look at it. it, is, you know, and I only say that because this is going to be a huge deal for now, but later down the road, in retrospect, it might not matter as much. But anyway, Starfield and Redfall got delayed out of 2022 and into 2023, so that was a huge blow. A large part of why we spent all of 2022 saying, hey, it's a rough year for gaming is because we didn't have Starfield and Redfall. They got delayed, and ultimately Xbox had basically nothing to talk about this year they had pentiment which is this indie darling side project thing from obsidian it's funny to call it indie because it's not technically indie uh grounded released since 1.0 build even though it had been out for a long time um in, in its in its beta build quote unquote 
Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, as dusk was like a second party game that came into game pass. That was pretty cool, but like, we didn't have any big heavy hitter. There was no halo gears of war kind of game that came out this year at all. And the thing everyone was looking to was Starfield. That was the whole thing is Bethesda is going to save the day. What a great time. What great timing for them to acquire Bethesda because now Starfield and Redfall are going to swoop in and give Xbox those much needed exclusive first party titles this, this fall season. And it didn't happen. So, yeah, I'm sure these games will be out in 2023, and I can't wait to play them. But, man, that really gunked up the story for Xbox in 2022 with those games just not being present. Man, hopefully, you know, we hope 2023 is going to be a much better year. Obviously, it already looks like a much better year in general for gaming. But still, for Xbox, outside of Starfield and Redfall, what do we got to look forward to? I don't really know. And I'll, and I'll say it again. I'm very excited for Starfield. I'm very, very excited for Redfall. I think Redfall looks phenomenal. But at the end of the day... These are games that were well into development by the time Microsoft bought Bethesda. So these are not stem to stern Microsoft titles. These are Bethesda games made by Bethesda teams that Microsoft purchased in the middle of development. And so they're really more of Bethesda games that would have been on all platforms regardless anyway than they are Microsoft first party console exclusives. And so that's why I always look to the, you know, the coalitions of the world or or things like that where I'm just like where are these new games? Where is Fable? Where is Perfect Dark? Guys, come on. Where are the we're the first party games. You know, hopefully we get our answer soon. Jess Corden talking about that early 2023. Maybe we're getting some kind of showcase. But damn, this story hurt Xbox a lot this year. And uh, hopefully 2023 will be a much better one for them. But we got to see those games, man. we got to see those games. All right, and our number one story, and it's a little anticlimactic because I think you already know damn well what we're going to say, but the number one story, the biggest story in Xbox news, without a doubt, for the year of 2022... Yep, you know it. Crossfire X comes out and is actually a slam dunk game. Fuck you, it's awesome. Anyone who told you it was a bad game is stupid, doo-doo, poopy head. Yeah, no, of course, I'm kidding. No, I'm talking, of course, about Xbox agreeing to purchase Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion. And we don't have to talk about this because I know none of us want to talk about it, but undoubtedly this is the biggest story, not only in the year 2022 for Xbox, but in the entire year of gaming, and also probably the biggest gaming story news in the past 20 years. It's just such a massive fucking news story. The, these are the, this is such a big story that these are the next closest stories throughout gaming history that I can think of that are on even remotely a similar esque magnitude. Sega gets out of console, the console business altogether and becomes a third party publisher. That's one Nintendo betrays Sony and ends up announcing. What was it? The, the Nintendo, what was that C device the, that they did with, uh, I think it was Philips, and then Sony gets betrayed and then goes on to make the PlayStation to get back at Nintendo and ends up becoming the biggest player in the in the home console market. Like, that, these are the, the level of story uh, I'm talking about here where it's just like, this is a thing we're going to look back on for years and years and decades to come as just like, wow, that was one of those bombshell moments in gaming history when Activision bought... Or when Microsoft, when Activision bought Microsoft, no, when Xbox agreed to buy Activision Blizzard, when they tried to buy the guys that have Call of Duty and Warcraft and Starcraft and Diablo and Guitar Hero, <laughs> but I, you know what I mean, all like fucking Call of Duty, <laughs> and that's I mean that's gonna forever go down. It's just one of those. Everyone's going to know it. Everyone's going to know the. there's going to be so many YouTube retrospectives and video essays. It's going to be one of those stories that everyone knows. It's going to be like the like the famous E3 where was it CES? I don't remember where Sony got up on stage 
following Sega's botched Sega uh, Sega Saturn uh, presentation, and then Sony got up on stage that year and just said two ninety nine and walked off in reference to the PlayStation One, and that was an iconic moment in gaming. Or like when the PS Four and Xbox One were coming out. And Sony completely dunked on Xbox and made them look like shit and sent the Xbox One into a generation spiral where they never really truly recovered. This is just one of those stories. Everyone's going to know the story forever and ever and ever. It's going to be something we always talk about and remember the time Xbox bought the Call of Duty guys. It's crazy. It's just fucking crazy. But we won't dwell on it any longer than that because I know none of us give a shit. We talked about that story ad nauseum. I think we all know it's the biggest story because we've talked about it for probably... 51 out of 52 episodes this this year, especially considering that news broke so early in the year that we got to basically talk about it for every inch of 2022. But guys, I thought it was pretty fun to kind of go down <clears throat> and talk about those stories. Let me know if you think there was a story that was maybe pretty important that we didn't put on the list and some of this ordering that maybe you don't agree with or any thoughts or ideas you have. I'd appreciate that in the comments. But guys, next up, before we round out the podcast with our small, not important enough stories, as well as our comments, I did want to talk about, just kind of real quick, maybe like 10 minutes or less, this notion that people like myself perpetuated, but no doubt was felt by a lot a lot of people, which was this idea that 2022 is a bad year for gaming. And as we round out the year, and I've seen a lot of other podcasts and YouTube channels and, and influencers and pundits and people and on social media and whatnot, with a similar kind of... Um, softening and turning of opinion where it's just like was 2022 a bad year after all and I think it's pretty obvious to say that 2022 was a pretty solid year for gaming that just ended up being terribly spread out we had a really strong start to the year with the first two months and then it was just really shitty and dry up until like October and then the past like two months month and a half have just been crazy balls to the walls loaded with great games and so it's been like a rough year in terms of how the games came out, the pacing, the clip at which we got these games. But no doubt, I think personally that 2022 was a great year for gaming. In fact, in fact, I have such a long uh, backlog. Plus, there's so many live service type games or multiplayer games that I love playing time and time again. That 2022 is actually a really beneficial year for me because it allowed me to feel like I was keeping up with new releases as they came out while also finally having time to dig a little into my backlog or, or play... Um, or, or play some more of those games that I generally feel guilty playing because I should be playing the new game, but the new game's not out, so I don't have to feel bad about it. And so 2022 was actually a really great year, at least for me personally, in that respect. And I feel like a lot of you probably do agree to some way as well. 2022 was also a great year for Game Pass because with the lack of massive AAA games, it kind of became a year to shine for these indie games, these smaller games that came into Game Pass that maybe otherwise wouldn't have given a try, but ultimately ended up discovering and falling in love with them. I'm talking about games like Tunic or Nobody Saves the World, um, where these games really were able to shine because there just wasn't that much going on outside of, outside of you know, the the rare Elden Ring type game here or there. And um, so, I don't know, here, here's a list of what I, I wrote down as the games of 2022 that I think were pretty notable. Uh, a lot of these are games I personally like a lot and I played, or games that's like you just can't ignore, like no doubt. Like I didn't play Elden Ring. I don't care about Elden Ring. I still don't give a shit about Elden Ring. Of course, it won Game of the Year. I know people love it. I just still don't care about this game. But there's no way I'm gonna, you know, I can't deny the fact that Elden Ring is a very important game, not just for 2022, but just imper like just in general. Elden Ring is a very important game. And so 
I, I just want to go down the list. This is again a list of games I I really enjoy that I played in 2022 as well as games that are really notable um on, on as a whole in the games industry. And so and I kind of loosely put them in order of release. So we're gonna go in January December here, um, but it's not perfect. So just bear with me. But this is about 25 games or so I wrote down. Let's go through them in order. Rainbow Six Extraction, Nobody Saves the World, Dying Light Two, Elden Ring, Destiny the Witch Queen. Crossfire X, Tiny Tina's Wonderland, Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga, MLB The Show 22, Tunic, Naraka Blade Point, TMNT Shredder's Revenge, Evil Dead, Grounded, As Dusk Falls, Tinykin, Splatoon 3, I put that on there for me, that's not Xbox, but you know, I love Splatoon, Deathloop, Proteus, Plague Tale Requiem, Overwatch 2, Gotham Knights, Modern Warfare 2, Sonic Frontiers, Evil West, Pentiment, Somerville, Vampire Survivors, Warhammer 40k Darktide, Marvel Midnight Suns, and Callisto Protocol, and High on Life. That's a pretty fucking comprehensive, long, exciting list of games. Like, if I, if I just read all of that, and you didn't find at least a single one that you're just like, yeah, shit, that's, yeah, that's actually pretty, you know, that's, that's a pretty good list of games. Or like, oh, I like that game. Or that game was pretty damn good. That's, I forgot about that one. Like, damn, like, then maybe maybe you just hate gaming. But there's just so much on there. And I just, I you know, I can't help but think, wow, I'm, a, I'm such a little bitch for sitting here and constantly being like. But this is just, I, I don't know, it's just a phenomenal lineup we have here of games. Like, looking at the list, you know, it's like, some, spoiler alert, we'll get into some of these next year when we talk about favorite games of, of 2022. But I look at this list, I'm like, nobody saves the world. I adore that game, you know. Uh, Destiny the Witch Queen, really fun expansion. Crossfire X, I adore that game. Evil Dead, surprisingly way better than I thought it would be. As Dusk Falls, I had a really great weekend playing that. Tinykin, I adore that game. That was such a cool, like, evolution and modern interpretation of, like, a 3D platformer with some, like, mechanics of Pikmin. It was just such a great game. Modern Warfare 2, one of the better Call of Duty games we've had in a long-ass time. Evil West, what a great modern interpretation of a of a great genre of game from the xbox 360 era that we completely lost that it's just so nice to have that back you know vampire survivors what a weird game that just bit everyone no pun intended and got seemingly everyone super addicted to this really unique really fun simple arcade score chasing type game you know callisto protocol the return of dead space basically and of course you know sonic frontiers the best sonic game since 2008 sonic unleashed which is no doubt the best sonic game of all time pretty damn great stuff we got here in 2022 in fact i'd maybe go as far to say as 2022 is definitely a better year than 2021 in fact i don't know i'm thinking back loosely to 2021 i don't know what i uh what i really liked um that much in 2021 other than halo infinite like i don't you know think about new games compared to compared to this year oof, this year. last year i had a lot more games on my list for best games i played of the year that uh that weren't released in that year this year i feel like my list is going to be predominantly 2022 games so i don't know man the, the pacing no doubt sucks you know january february was like okay it was more like february march it was like okay we've got some games especially elden ring dying light destiny like that was like a lot at once so pretty good but then it just went so fucking dark it just sucked for so long and it like when a good game came out it was like a good game but not like this is your next game you know something like like evil dead which is like i had a great time playing that game but that's you know that wasn't like the game that was gonna like define the year for me or anything it was just like a fun a fun game to put 10 hours into or something like that you know 
So it just it, it stayed dry for a long time until we really got around to like, oh, okay, Gotham Knights of Modern Warfare 2 and maybe a little bit earlier with like Overwatch 2 and stuff like that. But for the most part, it was just a rough, rough spring slash summer, basically. You know, you had a good winter, a good fall, but a really shitty spring slash summer in 2022. And I, I don't know, man, I, I got I got to just adjust and correct myself and, you know, just um, reevaluate what I've been saying all year, which is that, you know, I've been saying 2022 was a shit year and. It just doesn't seem like I can get away with saying that because it's just not it's just not true. There's just way too much good shit that happened. It's just it just can't be true. So I don't know, man. It, it's fun to kind of go back down memory lane, talk about the big stories and just look at the year as a whole with all the games that released and kind of talk about it that way. And damn, 2022 was a successful year, man. And I'm grateful to have had it. I'm grateful for all you guys for listening to the show and supporting it over the past year. And uh, I've, en- I've enjoyed getting to share my analysis and my opinions and all that with you guys and hear back from you guys and hear all the crazy fucking shit you guys say about God knows what, because I don't I don't even understand how the comments we get, but I appreciate the fuck out of them. And so it's just, I don't know, it's been fun. It's been a great 2022, and I'm looking forward to a great 2023 with all you guys. But we're not completely done for the podcast this week, you guys. We do have the important enough news stories, important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant their own discussion. But before we do that real quick, Headhunting Halo wrote in and did say, uh, Jesse, news break. So let's take a break in the news. He says, there's a new Mountain Dew flavor called Summer Freeze. Yes. I saw Mountain Dew Kid was posting this on Twitter, on, not Twitter, on Instagram. Yeah, it looks like this will be the summer 2023 flavor. It is a blue flavor, so that's usually a promising sign. Very much looking forward to Mountain Dew Summer Freeze. Yeah, and Mountain Dew's really hit or miss these days. They, they, they'll they put out like eight shitty flavors, then a great one, then a bad one, then an okay one, then a mediocre one. So who knows? It might might be good, might be bad. But yeah, thanks for, thanks for letting us know, Headhunting Halo. All right, back to the important enough news. We got a bunch of them here because I pushed so much stuff out of the actual news segment just so we wouldn't have to, like, talk about Activision Blizzard. But let's quickly run through these as we normally do. Um, There's about eight of them or so. First one is from VGC. Hideo Kojima is hoping to provide more info on his new game uh, that he's making next year. Not Death Stranding 2, but his other game that is not fully announced and revealed. On Friday, Kojima Productions boss provided a brief update on what the studio is working on in a video message for the 7th anniversary of the company, saying the game in which he's presumably referring to as the cloud-based Xbox project that he announced back in June. He said, quote, There's a game I've always wanted to make, and it's a completely new game, one that has never been experienced or seen before. I'm waited so long for the day I could finally start to create it. And based on the leaks from earlier in the year, Kojima's unannounced project appears to be a game called Overdose, which is a horror game. And maybe that's the game that's cloud-based for Xbox. Who knows? I really hope so. Goddamn. Hideo Kojima, give Xbox a win, please. Next up, VGC relays that Sifu will be coming to Xbox consoles and made available on Steam March 2023. The developer uh, and publisher Slow Clap confirmed. The game was released earlier in the year, back in February, on PlayStation consoles and PC, and was met with a lot of of positive reception. It came back to Nintendo Switch in November. This is that cool fighting game where, like, you're the dude, and every time you die, you come back a little bit older, so you got to be really careful about your playstyle because you don't want to fuck up the game and get too old too early in the game because it makes it harder to fight and all that's interesting game people really love this game i didn't 
look too far into it because it doesn't seem like my kind of thing, but I really appreciate the uniqueness of this game. And I wonder if it will be a Game Pass game because I feel like like it's a good get for Game Pass. Next up, Windows Central relays that a couple of really important games are leaving Game Pass. So unfortunately, Scarlet Nexus and Outer Wilds will be leaving later at the end of the month. So make sure you play those games if you haven't already. Guys, I cannot stress this enough. This is one of my favorite games of 2021. Scarlet Nexus, Scarlet Nexus, Scarlet Nexus. If you want to support Japanese games on Xbox, please play Scarlet Nexus. The combat in that game is so damn good. The art style is really, really cool. The enemy design is really, really interesting. The story, I enjoyed quite a bit, but maybe it's a little bit too anime for some of you. That's fine. But this game was so good. Please do not sleep on it. Scarlet Nexus, this is worth buying. This is worth playing. Good game. Sad to see it go. All right. Next up, VGC relays that the director of the Valorant series has announced that he's working now at Bungie. Speaking of Bungie, Joe Ziegler, Ziegler tweeted on Monday that he's joined the Destiny developer as he's already started working there. And he said, update, happy to announce that my new home is at Bungie, working on some new stuff that will hopefully one day get to be played by all of you. Congrats to him. Looks like they're poaching talent for that new hero-based shooter that they've been rumored to be making. But uh, yeah, with that said... Guys, we have four or five more stories. These are all related to Activision Blizzard. So rather than sit here and dwell on it for too long, let's just read through them so we can say we did and then move on to the comments because I got some fun comments I'm excited to get through with or get to with you guys today. And I don't want to talk about Activision Blizzard because that's not really how I want to end my year. VGC relays. (laughs) This one could be really important down the road to the buyout deal, but right now I don't want to get into it. Uh, Activision Blizzard president COO is leaving the company daniel allegra 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 with the medicine who has served in his role since 2020 will depart the company on march 31st when his current employment contract expires he's announced that he will be joining a blockchain firm yuga labs the company behind the board eight yacht club nfts as ceo he succeeds nicole muniz who will stay on as partner and strategic advisor of the comp to the company all right all i can say that is dude the coo of activision is going to work with the board eight guy Normally, this is the part of the story where I say, good luck, Daniel, on whatever comes next. But, Daniel, I don't give a shit. Go fuck yourself. You're going to work on the NFT apes. Bye. No one cares. Bye bye. Although, you know, technically that could be his departure could have something to do with this deal with Activision and and Xbox. So this is an important story, but on a personal level, bye ape guy. All right. Next up, VGC reports. European regulators have been asking developers and publishers what Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard could mean going forward. A new report claims uh, Reuters, Reuters, Reuters reports that it's seen a 91 page questionnaire written by the European Commission designed to get info from companies who are more knowledgeable on the subject, which I think is an appropriate and responsible thing to do. They said, according to the source reportedly familiar with the matter, the questionnaire was sent out earlier in the month, likely likely to console manufacturers, publishers and developers and distributors who provide PC operating systems. So maybe Microsoft, they sent up Microsoft a questionnaire about Microsoft. It's claimed that the survey, which is now in response or that is now asking for responses before Christmas, asked for recipients to exclusively uh, stra- exclusively for strategies they think Microsoft would be able to carry out if they were require Activision Blizzard. So they're just trying to get more familiar with something that they're not super familiar with, which I respect. I think this is a good way to go about that. So, you know, it's kind of similar. I think this is kind of a little bit like what um, – didn't Brazil do something like this when they were – going over the acquisition and then like unconditionally approved it anyway like saudi arabia did anyway next up vgc also says that a group of self-identified gamers can you imagine being a self-identified gamer dude that's like god 
That's that's social suicide, dude. Don't don't do that. Don't do that. Do not go out in public and take off your pants in front of a crowd of people and say, I self-identify as gamer. But anyway, self-identified gamers who have no friends and go to anime conventions have joined forces to sue Microsoft in a bid to stop its proposed acquisition, Activision, in a complaint via Reuters filed on Tuesday in a federal court in California, of course. California self-identified gamers. So typical. The plaintiffs argued that the $69 billion deal could substantially lessen competition or create a monopoly uh, in violation of the Clayton Act. The private antitrust action was brought by 10-year video game players in California, New Mexico, and New Jersey. You immediately invalidate yourself once we find out you are from New Jersey. So let's move on from that. And penultimately, (laughs) I thought lastly, I almost said lastly. The UK's Competition and Market Authority, the CMA, has, offic- has released a summary of the responses received from inviting members of the public to share their views on Microsoft's proposed acquisition of Activision. As of, of the 2,100 emails that they reviewed, around three-quarters were broadly in favor of the merger, and around a quarter of them were against it. The CMA said that the summary of responses was published this past Wednesday, and they said no clear view was expressed for or against the merger by a small number of respondents. The CMA listed 14 views expressed in favor of the merger and 11 views ex- expressed against it, just to kind of offer the opinions of why people are for and against, even though disproportionately people are for it. Some who argued in favor of the deal said it would allow Microsoft to better compete with Sony and Nintendo, who are bigger players in the game industry. Others said the merger would not harm the rivals because Microsoft has committed to keep Activision content like Call of Duty not exclusive. It was also argued that Microsoft plans to add Xbox games or Call of Duty to Xbox Game Pass and even Nintendo Switch, like a, pro, a pro-competitive move that will lower the price of accessing games for consumers. So, you know, if your thing is all about protecting the consumer, it seems like that's a pretty pro-consumer move. Hmm. And then lastly, almost done here, VGC reports that Chris Metzen has returned to Blizzard Entertainment after retiring from the company in 2016. Yeah, that's right. It's not about the, law, it's not about the uh, lawsuit or anything. It's about... Blizzard. As announced in a tweet, John Height, the general manager of Warcraft, the veteran said the veteran will return as a creative advisor to Warcraft's leadership. Chris is focused on initially, uh, will initially be on World of Warcraft, then his work will expand to other projects across the growing franchise. Metzen retired from Blizzard after being with the company for 23 years, but is now back, baby. So welcome back. Hopefully you're not bringing any stupid fucking ape NFTs with you. Thank you. Bye. All right, that's it for all of our news this week. You guys, we're done with it. Isn't it nice when we just try to pretend the Activision news isn't real? I tried. I tried. I, th- I really thought, you know, this time of year, maybe, 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 there just won't be any news. Just people will go home. They will leave the courts. They will leave the offices. They will go home. They will spend Christmas with their son, Timmy. They will buy him an Oculus Quest 2, and they will say, son, I want you to have the childhood I never had growing up poor and by a father who hit me. And then they'll say, dad, I love you. I don't need to escape into virtual worlds to know that you love me. I know you love me because I know you love me because you're, you came home from work today and you didn't spend all goddamn day trying to sue Microsoft for buying Activision Blizzard before the communists did. And then he'd say, oh, son, and he'd put his hand on his shoulders and then sweet, wholesome moment. But no, that wasn't enough because here we are talking as per usual about this fucking deal. We are mere days away from the world coming together so people can open presents and have a meal with their loved ones and family. And what do these motherfuckers want to do but talk about Activision Blizzard and Microsoft? 
Get a fucking life, dude. Grow up, okay? It's 2022, man. You should be spending time with the people you care about the most, not being getting your nose all up in Microsoft's business. You stupid children. You stupid corn people. You're people of corn. I don't know what that means, but it sounds insanely offensive, so I hope it's I hope it's insensitive. I hope someone's offended. But anyway, we swept under the rug. Can you, can you imagine if next week I'm just like, I want to talk about my favorite games of 2022 with you guys, but instead we have to talk about Activision Blizzard because there's more news that broke on Christmas Eve and then on Christmas morning. Oh, and then and then PlayStation said this on the eighth day of Hanukkah. Isn't that so unfortunate? But anyway, but anyway, that's it for all of our news this week, you guys. Let's round out the show with my favorite segment, the comments, the shout-outs from YouTube. You know how it goes. You head on over to YouTube.com at the Xbox on podcast or slash Xbox on podcast, whatever, and Leave a comment on the latest episode. Now, as a reminder, as I said at the top of the show, for next week's podcast, the whole main segment is going to be about our favorite games we played in 2022. It can be a game that was released this year. It can be a game that was released 25 years ago. I don't give a shit. Just write in with your top five favorite games you played in the year 2022. Feel free to leave some details about why they're your favorite games or just keep it simple and leave the list. Whatever you like. I'd love to read them next week on the show and we can talk about them. Make fun of people who have bad lists. Encourage people who have good lists. I'm talking about you, Sonic fans. And uh, generally just have a great time. And, and hey, hint, hint, there may be a special guest on the show as well. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. So please leave those comments. But in the meantime, let's talk about the comments we got for this week's episode, which uh, first off, leading off, Mr. Goodboy1978 wrote in and says, I think if the Activision deal does not go through, Xbox should take the money they would have spent on the acquisition and put a fraction of it to bring all the Call of Duty games to Game Pass for a few months just to end all this with a bang. Sony would be pissed. But I know this probably cannot happen. It's a nice thought. No worries, though. The deal should go through. I, like all others, am sick of hearing about it, so sorry to bring it up, but love your podcast and keep up the good work. Good boy. Thank you so much for writing in. And yes, you are a very good boy. Uh, and no, don't be sorry. It's, it's fun to bring it up and, and talk about it in these kinds of ways, you know, postulate and, and speculate about other kinds of fun alternatives and things that could happen. I don't know, man. That, that would be cool. I mean... It'd be cool for a lot of people that give a lot of people access to a really popular game for a while. I just feel like the best thing they can do at this point. I mean, I don't know, man. They pay that three that three billion dollar kill fee. I feel like they just take that money, go over to Embracer, and use a tiny one one millionth of that fucking money and be like, Embracer, we're buying Crystal Dynamics from you. Fuck you. You don't know what to do with them. You can't handle them. We're buying them from you. Just go do that. That's what they should do. And then go buy Sega so you can have Sonic. Before the communists get him. Because I know... You know the communists are going to get Sonic. You know they want him. You know they do. In a separate comment, Good Boy also wrote in and said, Have you ever ate at White Castle? If you have, do you like it? White Castle is one of my favorites. Good Boy, it's interesting that you bring this up. Because I think what I'm realizing right now is we have made it through 186 episodes of Xbox On without ever having talked about White Castle. I think. Maybe we have talked about it before. But I don't remember a time we have. So... Thank you for bringing this up. This is, you know, for a podcast that prides itself on its fast food talk, this is one quintessential fast food experience that just has never been brought up. And uh, to answer your question, yeah, I have eaten at a White Castle. I've eaten at a a White Castle a total of one time in my entire life. We didn't have them where I'm from originally, so it's not something I could have easily accessed. But in 2018, about four years ago, I was in Kentucky for a week. First time I'd ever been in Kentucky, and guess what? They have White Castle in Kentucky, so I made it a point. I went out of my way to try White Castle while I was in Kentucky. And uh, I'll be honest, 
I've I've had Crystal before. Do you know what Crystal is? Do other people know what the fuck Crystal is? I don't I don't think there are any of them here in Florida. I've never seen one here. But growing up, at least in Georgia, we had a we had a handful of them around. You know, they weren't super popular, but there was a handful of them growing up. And so I was I was accustomed to the idea of what White Castle offered through my experience eating at Crystal. And Crystal is like the same thing. It's like the sliders, the little burger sliders, the little chicken patty sliders, the, the fries, a little box cartridge, little not cartridge, but you know what I mean? The little like square containers for your fries and stuff. So I've had it and I like crystals. It's good. It's not, it's not phenomenal, but it's good. Like it's kind of in that tier of like Wendy's where it's like, I never really seek it out, but I don't, I, I don't hate it really. Although I probably, I don't know. I give, I give Wendy's a lot of shit, but I don't know. I kind of always assumed white castle would just be like, if you had crystals, but better because it's kind of like the more well-known brand of the two. It's iconic. The Harold and Kumar movie, of course. It's isn't it isn't the history go that White Castle was around before McDonald's. Technically, it's like the original fast food restaurant in a way. I don't know, but I, I had very high expectations for White Castle when I went, and maybe it's because I was in the middle of Podunk Nowhere, Kentucky, when I went. And that's no that's no disrespect to Kentucky. Kentucky is a cool state. It's a beautiful state. Um, that I, I'm literally talking about where in Kentucky I was was like like no name Kentucky, you know, that's not, it's not a slight to the actual state of Kentucky. It's just where I was in particular was pretty like nowhere. Um, <laughs> and God damn dude, that, that was a bad experience. I had a bad time at white castle. Everything we tried was soggy, flavorless, disgusting. It was just not a good time. I did not enjoy white castle one bit when I went there in Kentucky four years ago. However, they have since opened a massive White Castle uh, pretty close to Disney World over here in Orlando. Uh, it opened like a year ago, I want to say, maybe a year or two ago. And I I want to go, um, but I kind of have – I, I kind of forgot we had it because when it opened, it was such a big deal because there are no White Castles in the state of Florida. There's really no White Castles, I think, south of like the Carolinas or anything. I don't know. They're, they're not around the southeast United States at all. Um so when they built one here in Florida, it was like a huge deal. It was all over the news and people were going fucking crazy. And honestly, I don't know how long, but it seemed like maybe for a year. It was like the kind of deal where there was just like a line wrapped around the building three times over to get to White Castle every single day. And so I was just immediately like, nope, not going there, never going there. I don't need to go there. Um, I'm sure the dust has settled by now. I don't know. Orlando's a crazy place. It's kind of it's kind of a fucking cesspool anywhere you go at every time of the year. So maybe it hasn't gotten better. But I do need to make it out there and give them another try because I do have a suspicion that maybe I just ate at a really bad location and that White Castle is actually better than I gave it credit for. So I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. That's actually a really great one. I'll have to add that to the list. You know, my my growth my plan for 2023 of doing the what I've been eating segment based on restaurants I previously written off that I'm giving a second chance to. So I need to put White Castle on the list along with Culver's and and, and, the, and the like. I don't really know what else there is other than Chipotle, Culver's, and White Castle that I really disliked, but good one. Thank you, good boy, for writing in. That is a good one, and I will be sure to revisit that on a later episode. Now, next up, let's talk about TV recommendations. This is something that's I'm so far out of my element with, but Headhunting Halo writes in and says, First off, Merry Xmas. Have you played Rainbow Billy on Game Pass? It's pretty good. I have not even heard of that. <laughs> what do you believe chicken or, or what do you believe chicken or egg first also grilled cheese burrito went up 65 cents at Taco Bell so that's cool I'm looking for the best TV I can get for my Xbox Series X any recommendations have a good week much love now normally we read Headhunting Halo as like a send-off because his comments are 
both beautiful and also for me incomprehensible because I can't understand anything I'm ever reading. But Headhunting Halo, you asked a question here. It wasn't just wasn't just cutesiness. You asked a question, so I got to put you a little higher up in the comments so we can address your question. And uh, unfortunately, and I hate to I hate to do this to you. I do not have a good answer as to what kind of TV you should buy because this is something I'm not very qualified on. The only time I ever know anything about TV is when I'm in the market to buy a TV and then I try to learn some things and then I forget and I move on until it's seven to ten years later and time to buy a new TV. But I will say this. In anticipation for the Xbox Series X back in 2020, in the summer of 2020, I purchased my most recent TV, the TV I have right now, and it was a Samsung QN65, 65-inch QLED 4K. Or so, okay, that's I'm just reading the Amazon listing, sorry. It is a Samsung QLED 4K Q60 series, the 2019 variant, I guess. Uh, yeah, because I bought it in like mid-2020, so it was the 2019 model. So the, the frustrating thing about this TV is that was right before it became standard to have HDMI 2.1 on all these newer TVs. So what that means for me is that my TV does not support for my Xbox Series X to do 4K and 120fps at the same time. I can do 4K 60 or I can do 1440 and 120fps on my Xbox, but I cannot do 120fps and 4K at the same time because I don't have HDMI 2.0. Aside from that, which I didn't know about until like five, six months after I bought the TV and the Xbox Series X was already out and I already had it. I didn't know about it until that point. But aside from that one disappointing thing, I spent, I'm looking at my, I'm only telling you this because I looked at, I literally pulled up my Amazon purchase history just to help you out with this. I bought this TV on, it says on July 26, 2020, it was 65 inches and I paid $667 $667 for this thing. I'm looking it up right now on Amazon. I don't know why it's $1,200 now. I don't know if maybe they don't make this model anymore, so you're buying it offhand from someone else. I think that's what this is. I just don't... I think they have a newer... Uh, yeah, I think they have a newer version of the TV, and maybe that's more expensive, but here's what I will say. I, I get stressed out with the with the whole... like I, I like consumer tech a lot. I'm really into like phones and computers and laptops and stuff. TVs are kind of where I, I I zone out a little bit for whatever reason. I want to get into this, but, but I just it doesn't hold my interest. I will say, from my experience and from my personal perspective and opinion, I know there are going to be people people out there listening who are going to disagree, and that's fine. Uh, feel free to write in with your with your recommendations, especially if you have more knowledge on this than I do. There are a lot of people out there who will go nitty gritty and be like, "You're only going to buy a TV every five to ten years, so you might as well buy the best of the best. Drop twenty five hundred bucks, make sure you get all the bells and whistles and all the features, and blah 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 blah, make it look as good as it can." And you know, Xbox is the most powerful gaming console. I think Xbox is the console brand that no doubt tends to pull more of an audience that's more obsessive over performance and fidelity and visual quality and things like that. So I think this conversation really does lend itself in, in, in a kind of natural way to the Xbox consumer. But I am the least Xbox consumer, like Xbox-centric Xbox fan you'll ever meet when it comes to this really important critical detail of like fidelity and performance because bitch, I grew up on Nintendo. I don't give a shit, man. I was out there defending the Nintendo Wii in 2009, okay? So what what do you think I give a shit about 4K 120, you know? So I'll be honest. I'm one of those people where it's like, if the TV looks good enough, you know, I, buy a TV that's got a big screen that has a relatively great 
resolution and and, fr- and frame rate and uh fucking ma- make sure you put it in game mode when when you're playing games you know don't put it in cinematic mode or whatever you know that's like that's like all my recommendation you know i know people get super nitty gritty and like oh well it's, it's quantum hdr is it hdr 10 it's like shut the fuck up dude i stop you look like a nerd and you're drooling and everyone's making fun of you stop find find a tv that is within your price range do not push yourself Get a relatively decent size one because big TVs are fucking fun. I always had tiny TVs. I've always had like 32-inch TVs until this most recent one. So I've never had a TV. Like I, I literally more than doubled the size of my TV when I bought this thing. And uh, having a big-ass TV is fucking nice. Honestly, if you got 4K, if you got some form of HDR, if, if you can do 60 FPS 4K, I don't fucking know, dude. It's it's good. It's, it's fine. Y- you're always going to have snobs who are going to try to make you feel... Like you bought a bad TV or like, oh, you should get this one. And I know everyone points like right now. I know um, I think LG is the one is the one that makes the one that makes like what's widely considered the best TVs with their with their special. You know, everyone's got like some trick with their LED technology. It's like, well, you don't individually light every pixel. You want to do special sections of pixel lighting. It's like, shut up, nerd. Just buy the TV that's in your price range. Is the size you're looking for? It has the basic features. I think you can go to a Best Buy or a Target, look at the TV aisle, and get a pretty decent understanding of what kind of TV you connect with and you're looking for. I would say pretty much any of the major brands are going to offer something solid. You know, even you know whether whether it's Vizio or Samsung or LG or Sony, whatever it is, dude. Just go find the one that speaks to you and is kind of in your price range. And I think you're going to probably more often than not take it home and go, "Wow, this is pretty damn good." I think TVs are TVs. The only other thing that is like TVs to me, the only other like form of technology that I feel like has a similar kind of fan base uh, to like TV snobs is like record snobs. People who are like, Oh no, 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 I got to buy all my music on vinyl and listen to it on record player. It's like, I'll be a hundred percent honest. And I don't care if this means like I have trash taste or like, I, I, I'm just not nuanced enough. I don't notice enough of like the benefit of overreacting about what the sound quality or the picture quality or which model you buy and which setting you put it on. To me, I'm just like, I don't know. The game looks good enough. <laughs> the fucking, you know, you you plugged up your Xbox, 4K, 60 FPS. You know, whatever. The game looks good. <laughs> I'm really happy with it. So, that's a, I know it's a lot. Hopefully, that helps you somewhat. I just feel like people put too much stock and pressure on the whole TV buying process. I think the most important thing is to just find something that you're pretty satisfied with and that is within your price range, and don't don't stress out too much about the buzz terms like HDR 12R. Oh, you got HDR 12R, you're fucking idiot, dude. You should have got HDR 7 Plus, fucking idiot. Now you're going to have retina retina diffractions when your 4K hits a bit rate of 74 or lower. And I'm going to look at you, and I made up all those words and all those terms. I know most of that makes no sense, but I, I'm going to look at you. I'm going to say, you are a fucking nerd. But then I will look down on you if you buy a new cell phone and it doesn't have a 120 refresh rate. Because I see the way you bitches be scrolling on fucking TikTok and Twitter all day. And if I see 60 frames per second on that screen, I'm going to throw up in my mouth, dude. You're disgusting. You disgust me. Let's move on with our lives. Let's talk about Halo and Burger King at the same goddamn time. No, it is not 2007. We're talking about these two things separately, not together. <laughs> Clanky1 writes in, Clanky, please be a real person. Please do not be cronky being cute and having a second account. Clanky1 writes in and says, Hi, Jesse. I've been listening to your podcast for a few months and really love the content and format. It helps pass the time in the warehouse while picking parts. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that, man. And uh, like, like I said, it's always it's always really uh, nice to hear those kinds of comments and to know that 
the show for some reason is entertaining people or keeping them preoccupied. So I greatly appreciate it, man. Uh, pro tip for ordering at Burger King. Ask for it fresh off the broiler, and then they will cook you a fresh patty instead of pulling from those sad plastic bins they used to keep them warm. It makes the food much more edible. Also, I've been loving the new Halo updates and been, they've been, as they've been coming out, but most of my friends have moved on to Warzone 2. Most won't even bother giving Halo another chance. I wonder how many people are in the same boat. Well, Clanky, uh, great question, first of all. It, 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 let's, let's attack them one by one. So in the order you bring them in, so Burger King, here's the thing. That is amazing advice, and I'm really glad you shared that because I think a lot of listeners can get something from that and and probably have a better Burger King experience. So that is a legitimate pro tip that I genuinely appreciate and I had never heard of before. So seriously, thank you. That's that's a great tip. The problem with that tip is I am such a I, I am such a timid, shy, anxious person. I could never do that. I could never do that. It is such a reasonable request as a customer to walk into a place of business and say, hey man. If it's not too much trouble, um, on my Whopper, can I get a fresh uh, a fresh patty off the broiler instead of like just the like the pre-made ones? And you know, as long as you say it nice and respectfully, you're completely within your bounds to do so as a paying customer. And the guy or the person at the counter should have no problem with just being like, "Yeah, that's no problem, man. We'll do that for you." That is a completely rational, rational and reasonable interaction to have. But I could never do that. I am so non-confrontational. And my number one objective when I'm out in public, when I'm a shopper, when I'm a consumer, when I'm just a stranger out in public around other people, my number one objective is to be as quiet and as out of the way and as unintrusive as humanly possible. So if I could, if I can mobile order, I'll do it. If I can get, if I can purchase something without interacting with a human, I will do it. If I have to have you fuck up my order just just in order for me to not have to correct you or ask you to do something or do anything that can make you remember me or think about me in any way, whether it be positive or negative, I will go way above and beyond to make sure it doesn't happen. I, I, I'm I'm talking about going as far as like if I order a burger with no ketchup and you give me that burger with no with, with tons of ketchup on it, I'll just throw out the burger and go somewhere else and get another meal instead of coming back and being like, um, you fucked up my order because I'm I'm so non-confrontational. And so it's not technically confrontational. Be like, hey, can I get a fresh patty? That's a normal thing to ask. It's a reasonable request as a customer. But again, it's just too involved for me. I don't think I could ever possibly do that. So it is an amazing pro tip that I will probably never take advantage of. And I will continue to rail Burger King for being inconsistent in quality, despite knowing I could probably make it better by using this pro tip you provided. So thank you, but you've also burdened me with this knowledge that I will never use to my advantage. And that... That concerns me. Now, as for your Halo comment, yeah, man, this is this is what I was kind of talking about a little bit earlier in the news segment, which is it's so unfortunate for Halo because the game is finally the game we needed it to be all along. It's finally where we've been hoping it would be. I mean, the game has always been a good game. It's always been a fun game. It's always been a fundamentally fantastic Halo game. But it had so much fucked up and missing and wrong and little bits and pieces and polishing tweaks here and there that were so, uh, it's not quite there. That for the entire year, we were just grinding our teeth and dragging this whole thing out. When is Halo going to be ready? And now the game is so good. They fixed the progression. They fixed customization a lot. They've had so many new maps, so many new playlists, so many new modes, uh, new free battle passes, uh, the custom browser, forge mode, all this shit. It's, mm, the game is so good. But man, it's like everyone's moved on. <laughs> you know, we're playing Warzone 2. Modern Warfare 2 is a damn good game. I can't blame your friends. It's a really good game. And I don't even like Warzone, but I actually thought Warzone 2, you know, the couple of matches I played, 
was a lot more comprehensible and fun than my experience playing Warzone 1 back in Modern Warfare 2019. So all around, dude, I mean, I'm more of a multiplayer guy, but like Modern Warfare 2 is a great game. And it came out the gate a great game. It had some issues of its own as well, but they were nowhere near as egregious as what Halo Infinite had going on. So I can't blame the consumer for moving on, for saying, Halo, you had your chance. You fucked it up. For a year, you fucked up. That's your problem. I'm going to go play Warzone because it's a good time and because it's it's there. It's fully featured and working with a bad UI. <laughs> and uh, I, I can't blame it. I just can't. I can't blame it. Anyone for having that that perception, but... Hey, Clank, uh, Clanky, if you ever want to play Halo Infinite with anyone, we uh, it's a, it's one of our most commonly streamed games over on twitch.tv slash lightningextreme. Usually on Monday nights around 8 p.m. Eastern time, we're, we're streaming, and a lot of times it's Halo. So if you want to join in and play with us, you're welcome anytime. Now, I will say, streaming is on a little bit of a hiatus for the next couple of weeks as I work out some things, but we'll, we'll be back. So follow along, why don't you? Next up, Mr. Malg writes in and says, Jesse, I've been a good boy and I've been playing more of Nobody Saves the World after procrastinating too much from playing it. But I've been a bad boy too and went on a test drive, test drove some cars, and now I can't get the new WRX out of my head. It was much more fun than the new GTI and Integra I drove. Okay, stop. Nobody Saves the World, spoiler alert, maybe the best game. Maybe the best game of the year. It's so damn good. So I'm glad you're playing it. Really love that game. Such a fucking good game. But buddy, man, you try the new WRX the new GTI, and the new Integra. You're supposed to buy a Subaru BRZ. The new BRZ is fucking awesome. So why are you not buying the BRZ is my number one question. Number two, the new WRX does look good. I know people are giving a lot of shit for its design, but the more I see on that car, the more I like it. I don't like the design as much as the old design, but I do like the car. So I have no doubt that you loved it. And I'm sorry that you've been plagued by it, but man, I can't speak to the new GTI. I haven't followed along with that at all, but do not get that new Integra. We need to take a stand. We need to tell Honda no. Because Honda did a bad job with that Integra. They're milking the name for all it's worth. They're milking the fucking name. It's a, it's an Acura ILX with Integra badging. It's a Civic SI with, with, with Integra badging. And they're upcharging you an extra 10 grand to get a manual transmission. And you and I both know that's bullshit. Manual is supposed to be your bare bones, basic, cloth seat, cheap alternative. My friends listening in the UK, you know what I'm talking about. What's up, Europeans? For once, I'm being nice to you guys. You know what I'm talking about. Your manual option is supposed to be your cheap, basic option. The way God intended and the way I want as a consumer. But Honda, they're being little fuckboys and they know that 90% of people who are going to want the new Integra are manual drivers and Honda boys. So they flipped the script and they made the fucking, what is it? The fucking 10-speed automatic, the base model for 32 grand and then you gotta go all the way up to like 40 grand to get the uh you have to like upgrade to the premiere package and then add on a bunch of fucking tech features just to get a manual transmission that's price gouging and you know it so don't support the new integra if the wrx is what is what made your heart sing go with the wrx but i'm a little concerned that you didn't even mention the brz at all in the comments so mr miss maug thin ice mr buddy mr friend last week of the year you got one more opportunity this year to make it up See what you let's see what you have to say. All right. Two more comments around the podcast, neither about cars. So if you didn't like that, don't worry, there will be no more of that for this week. But Kronky writes in and says, I am super sorry, in super Xbox related news. Did you see that Mercedes Benz is introducing a subscription to allow their vehicles to accelerate faster? What the fuck? I really did think we were done with car talk. I did not I, I actually forgot about this comment. I, I did not realize we were gonna go back into car talk on our Xbox podcast, but it'll go zero to sixty miles 
0.60 one second faster. It's like a hundred a month or something. I pray to God that consumers reject this crap because I would not, it would just be the end of the world if we go down this road. Can you, yeah, no pun intended, right? Yeah, that, that is kind of bullshit. The idea of unlocking features in your, in your vehicle that you've already purchased to make it do things that it otherwise wouldn't do unless you subscribe. The future's fun, dude. Let's do it. Way of the Lao has our last comment of the week. Way of the Lao, enlighten us. Usually you're one of our first commenters, so let's let's give you the floor. Let's give you uh, let's give you the stage to round it out and to send us home. Way of the Lao says, Hello everyone. Hope you're doing well this week, Jesse. Don't worry about getting back to streaming so quick. Take some time and relax. Do something with your girlfriend. Enjoy. Play that crossfire game you like so much. You say, play that crossfire W game you love so much. Fuck you. Thank you. Also, might I suggest to the Xbox on community the first few seasons of The Simpsons to tide you over in these trying holiday times. I'm really, really, really tired of hearing about Activision Blizzard King. Can we talk about Taco Bell instead? Yes. I try. <laughs> um, I tell you what I made some fried chicken the other night after I was done managing my arms, managing my arms. Uh, from the grease popping and scolding my arms, I ate it and it was amazing, guys. I'm honest, I was really s stoked about Armored Core and the new Spider-Man game because it actually looks like the game I would play. Because too many side missions and, and give you diabetes like Jesse. Well, anyway, <laughs> too many side missions can give you diabetes like Jesse. <laughs> well, anyways, take care, Merry Christmas, and uh, you know that's that is an untrue fact that will probably be true in time. Well, anyways, take care and Merry Christmas to and all that stuff. I've come up with my new name uh, for you and Cronky. It's Dronky. Nah, just kidding. I'll let that joke die. Take care. Best wishes. Merry Christmas. Way to allow. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas and one and all. Um, uh, what am I supposed to take out of this comment? <laughs> I, I appreciate the kind words, man. Yeah, like I, like I said earlier, the, the stream is on hold for a little bit while I, I'll be honest, I'm just trying to like, I like streaming a lot. I really appreciate being able to hang out with you guys and chat it up and play games together and stuff. But I, I'm trying to be more judicious about my free time and try to use it to be more productive and to create things I can put out into the world. Streaming doesn't feel like a creative outlet. It feels like a social, like a social opportunity. And so while I enjoy streaming, it just, to be quite honest, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to do it if I'm trying to grow the Xbox on brand and community because my Twitch stream doesn't attract a lot of attention. It, it hasn't grown at all. If I'm just being blatantly honest. And additionally, I, I, I feel more fulfilled when I'm creating stuff like putting things out there into the world. So even if it is a stupid YouTube video, a stupid YouTube poop video that it has some cheap laughs and isn't really all that noteworthy. Um, I, I do feel a sense of reward and, and happiness when I am creating stuff. So I'm trying to spend more time doing YouTube videos or work on music i've been trying to work on fucking music all year and to little success i was supposed to have a new theme song written for the podcast by this time but that sure as hell ain't ready right now um so i don't know i've been trying to do this thing where i like take a week to really focus on video creation and take a week to focus on music creation where i just force myself to sit down after work every night and work on this for at least two hours and it's actually been really easy to stick to the schedule because i'm really enjoying it i'm having a lot of fun especially with the diversity of switching between the two creative gears but, um, I mean, it's eaten into my ability to stream and it's eaten into my ability to play games on the weekdays. I'm just really only playing games on like Friday and Saturday and Sunday at this point because of this new schedule. But at the same time, I don't want to ruin the flow because right now I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And so I'm going to keep doing that. So I appreciate you, uh, being understanding and supportive, man. No, like genuinely that, that does mean a lot. And, uh, also congrats on that fried chicken. Cause it sounds good. I love fried chicken. Uh, I made some fried chicken earlier this week, but it was in an air fryer, and it turned out just okay. So I feel like your your uh, your traditionally fried chicken probably would have been much better. So now you're making me jealous. Now you're making me hungry. 
and you're foreshadowing my inevitable descent into diabetes, which is funny. And uh, I'm glad you're excited about Armored Core and Spider-Man. I am excited about Spider-Man, no doubt. And I'm interested in Armored Core, um, although wondering wondering why people... I don't know. I just feel we didn't, we didn't see enough of it just yet, but I am interested because if there's something from Software does, Armored Core is probably more my speed than Dark Souls, so maybe this can be my end to appreciate something that team does, but... Um, Thank you for writing in, Wade Lau. Thank you, everyone, for writing in. And since we won't meet again until after Christmas, you know, Merry Christmas to all of you applies to. Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah, whatever it is you celebrate. If you celebrate nothing, season's greetings. Happy holidays. Just have a great week. I know a lot of you guys will probably be working like I am without any days off so or, with you know, without any holiday breaks or anything like that. So appreciate your work. Appreciate all the effort you guys put in. Stay strong. Hopefully have some good podcasts to keep you busy and entertained. I know I got a couple loaded up and, uh, you guys take care, eat some good food, play some video games, hang out with your families, tell someone you love them, buy them something nice and then buy yourself something nicer because you love yourself more. How can you love someone else? If you don't love yourself, you know what I mean? But, uh, all, all joking aside, have a great week. And until next week, we'll meet one more time in, tw- in 2022. And then it's off to a brand new year of uh, probably just Activision Blizzard updates, unfortunately. But until then, power your dreams.